Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. And Neil Prendeville returns on Monday morning. This is Mick Mulcahy. Now, the story we opened the programme with yesterday, the very sad and tragic story, makes all of the morning papers today. The uh, independent front page has the huge headline, Nobody Should Have to Witness What I Saw. A neighbour describes finding the bodies of mother and son. John Mahoney rang his neighbour and friend, Mossy O'Sullivan, for one of their regular chats on Tuesday evening. He never answered, and I was waiting for him to ring me back, he said to the Irish Independent. That didn't happen. Shortly afterwards, two other neighbours asked John to check on the O'Sullivan house in Kilfeeny in Lixnaw in County Kerry. They were worried because the front door was open, but no one had answered. Inside, John discovered Eileen, 56, and her son, Jamie, 24, Shot dead in their beds. Gardy later found the body of Massey O'Sullivan, 63, at the rear of the property. A firearm nearby, all three dead in a suspected murder-suicide for which officers have yet to establish a motive. And the pictures are all over the papers today. Shot dead in their bed, uh, says the front page of the Irish Daily Mirror. Farmer blasts partner and son to death then turns gun on himself. That's a bit sensationalist, isn't it? Uh, gun ownership laws questioned after shooting. Podrick Hoare uh, ex- reporting in the examiner that gun ownership in Ireland must be re-examined before fatal crime involving firearms becomes a pattern. That is according to Victims' Rights Organisation Advic and Cork Southwest TD and anti-domestic violence campaigner Holly Kearns who said estimates around the potential number of guns in Ireland was a real worry. The star has shot dead in their beds. Murder-suicide victims, neighbours horror at finding bodies 24 hours later. Shot in their beds, says the Irish Daily Mail. Kerry murder-suicide. Uh, a GAA-loving son, a well-respected mother and father who kept bees. They seemed so normal until the father turned a gun on the family. Two stories more positive, and it's a game-changer, says the front page of The Echo. City businesses hail the jazz festival's return. The return of the Guinness Cork Jazz Festival has been hailed as a game-changer for the city. Guinness announced yesterday that the festival will return this year, taking place over the bank holiday weekend from October 22nd to 25th. Previous estimates suggest that the festival is worth about $35 to the local economy. And this will be the first major festival in Ireland since the pandemic uh, to take place, which is a significant milestone, not only for musicians and the events industry, who have been one of the hardest-hit industries, but also for festival goers who have been waiting for some good news, said Diageo Ireland Head of Partnerships, Rory Sheridan. We look forward to announcing full details of the festival, including the lineup. Over the coming weeks, and I'm sure there's no shortage of willing musicians uh, of all genres, not just jazz, willing to play on the fringes and around uh, the city and county to celebrate that big, big festival. The Echo has support for Coveney amid calls for sacking. A spokesperson for the Taoiseach last night said that Micheál Martin has confidence in Foreign Affairs Minister Simon Coveney, and the comments came just hours after the leader of Sinn Féin and Mr. Martin has said the leader uh, said Mr. Martin must sack Mr. Coveney, or the minister could face a no-confidence motion. Speaking to reporters, the spokesperson said, I don't think anyone doubts the qualities of the minister and the energy has brought, he has brought to the issues like Brexit, working with parties like Sinn Féin in Northern Ireland, EU Affairs, Afghanistan and the UN Security Council. Indeed, he is a key minister. Yesterday, Mary Lou MacDonald said that Mr. Coveney's handling of the Catherine's opponent, 
crisis is not the standard expected of a government minister. But is it worthy of a no-confidence motion? Not sure if uh, Sinn Féin would be doing the right thing there for their own popularity. Uh, as I said to Mary Lou MacDonald last week on an interview, uh, you seem to be uh, telling your people, uh, keep your nose clean, keep your head down, don't get in any trouble. Uh, the others will mess it up for themselves and we'll be away on a hack. Uh, but let's see what happens. Fianna Fáil Review finds attacks on Sinn Féin have damaged their own party. Uh, I think it's quite enlightening, actually, that the uh, the report was... Uh, released in advance of that Fianna Fáil thinking today, which is in County Cavan, I think. But the Irish Times front page has a report on the state of Fianna Fáil due to be discussed at a stormy party meeting today. Fianna Fáil party identity seen as weak and reliant on candidate-based voting. Uh, Fianna Fáil concentrated too much on Sinn Féin in the last election campaign, and the party was damaged among young people uh, by the stance of many of its TDs against the repeal of the Eighth Amendment. A review of the state of the party has found. The document circulated to members of the Parliamentary Party last night is due to be discussed by TDs and Senators today at what's expected to be a stormy meeting during the party's think-in in County Cavan, in which party leader Antishuk Michal Martin is likely to fear, face severe criticism, sources predict. And the Irish Times goes on to say, the report, which is based on a review of the party's electoral performances, but also on a survey of the members, identifies a number of reasons for the party's disappointing performance in the last general election. The report is critical in places of the campaign run by the leadership and party headquarters, citing the late appointment of a director of elections, a conservative and cautious manifesto, which had insufficient involvement of the party's front bench, and an ineffective use of social media. It also concludes that the party leadership talked too much about another party. It doesn't say Sinn Féin, but it's obviously Sinn Féin, uh, during the campaign. However, the report also identifies other reasons for the poor performance. It says the party was badly damaged by the vote gate controversy in late 2019. That's when some of the party's TDs were found to have been voting on behalf of colleagues who were not in the chamber. And that kind of uh, facilitates expenses, doesn't it? It said the party's identity is weak, with a majority of the party's own members unclear about it. It relies on candidate-based voting rather than strong support for Fianna Fáil. How things have changed since the uh, the glory days, if you like, for Fianna Fáil of Charles Hockey and the um, <laughs> adoration, I suppose, that people had for him. Um, and uh, that was uh, many, many years ago, of course. Words have been weaponized as tweets, says the Bishop. The Echo reporting, we live today in a world where words are weaponized as tweets and social media comments. According to the Church of Ireland, Bishop of Cork, Cloyne and Ross, the Right Reverend Dr. Paul Colton, who made the uh, comments during the ordination of two new deacons for the diocese last Sunday. During the ceremony, Bishop Colton referenced an encounter in a gospel reading between two disciples who were arguing about which of them was the greater of the two. And he asked, in the light of that, what it is to be a deacon in today's church and world. He continued, there are uncomfortable words, uh, these are uncomfortable words in an abusive world. A world of passive aggression, where words are weaponized as tweets and social media comments, and where all of us have an overriding sense of entitlement and our rights, uh, where, quite rightly, we are called also to prioritize also our God-given well-being. Read that story in uh, today's Echo. The Sun has toilet snap perv, gets two years jail. A man's sexual act with boy also reads the headline, a man who pleaded guilty to engaging in sexual activity with a 15-year-old boy and to using a mobile phone to record three unknown males in public toilets has been jailed for two years. Garfield Ebbs appeared before Cork Circuit Criminal Court yesterday. He's 46, formerly of Fairfield Green and Farronry, and had previously admitted to filming males in public toilet cubicles and keeping movies of same on his phone. And we've heard in the news, Sloan to Care director quits amid waitlists challenge. Neve Griffin uh, 
Once again, the uh, health correspondent for the examiner making the uh, main pages there. The executive director of Sloan to Care Programme has resigned as a progress report shows a significant challenge to tackling the more than 900,000 people languishing on waiting lists. Laura McGahey left her post yesterday. Chair of the Sloan Care Advisory Council, Tom Keane, also left. And however, a spokeswoman for the Department of Health said his departure reflected his appointment to a three-year term as chairperson in 2018. I wonder what's been achieved. The coronavirus crisis in the Irish Daily Mirror has pictures to prove the uh, trolleys and waiting lists Patients suffering trolley weight misery. Sean Murphy reporting there that hospital overcrowding continues to surge and the number of patients waiting on trolleys has hit new highs for the pandemic. A total of 413 patients were waiting for beds yesterday morning. The Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation said it was the second successive day. The INMO recorded the highest number of trolleys since the start of the pandemic. Uh, Even wine with no alcohol can help to fight heart disease. It's all down to antioxidants in the grapes. Alcohol-free wines are just as good for the heart as normal vintages, a study shows. And unlike regular types, zero wines are not bad for your health at all in other ways. Dr. Rudolf Schutt, the uh, senior professor at uh, Anglia Ruskin University, analyzed data from nearly 450,000 people over an average of seven years, to examine the link between alcohol and health. There is an undeniable protective beneficial relationship between coronary heart disease and the consumption of both red and white wine. However, this is only seen with coronary heart disease and none of the other cardiovascular diseases. And uh, if you like uh, sweets, then it seems as though listening to uh, classical music can give you a sweet tooth. And uh, that is in the... Uh, the Irish Times today, uh, sorry, the Times, the English edition, listening to Bach or Beethoven could leave you reaching for the biscuit tin, but turning down the burgers, as study suggests. People preferred sweet foods when they listened to classical music compared with jazz, hip-hop or rock and heavy metal, the researchers found. That's the power of an influential tune. Background music in a cafe or restaurant can influence tipping behaviour as well, according to a 2018 study. Customers tipped an average of £3.52 more in the UK if upbeat tracks such as ABBA's Dancing Queen was on while they were eating. Don't be playing the Smiths then. Music can reduce how tired you feel uh, while exercising by up to 12%, and people drink more quickly the louder the music is in a pub. Oh, here we go, now we're getting battered. Uh, with the loud music of 2008 French study suggested. Background music could improve the taste of red wine. Another uh, survey said in a 2016 study found that happy music could help build teamwork in offices. The Neil Prenderville Show. And let's kick off with a very happy birthday to Kieran Harahan of Skibbereen today, the 9th of September from Jerry and Rianne Smith in Baltimore. Uh, I must talk about uh, the staycation as well. I promised to do that a week ago. I've still been so busy not to get around to it. Uh, yes, fabulous time in Baltimore, which uh, I must uh, say hello to a few people. And uh, generally in West Cork, uh, what a place to staycation. Well, I'll get back to that uh, a little later on. Let's go to uh, Mary Buckley, who's on line one. Good morning, Mary. Hello, Mary. Hello, Mary. Hi, how are you doing? Thanks. Okay. Now, you normally don't post about stuff, but you're really angry over something that happened on Sunday. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, so um, my son has been attending um, very popular babies' um, kids' swimming classes since he was four months of age. Okay. And we've never had an issue. We've, we're going there four years. And um, on Sunday, he went to go to his normal class with his father and my partner. And when they arrived there, he had 
really going to the pool and his clothes off ready to go in and he's swimming here and the manager of the company came over and said to my partner is he wearing a water nappy and my partner said no he's not wearing a water nappy he's four and she was like he has to wear a water nappy he can't go into the pool without a nappy and my partner was like I'm not putting a nappy on my four year old he's, he's four um, we've never had to do it before and she was like well we cannot permit him to go into the pool without a nappy and, and, and when did this change for you? Literally, just Sunday, we didn't hear any anything about it until he was going into the pool on Sunday morning. Uh, and what what normally would be the criteria for uh, for nappies? I suppose you know it's up to the parents to decide or to let well, the management know that the, the child is toilet trained. There's not going to be any danger here. Yeah, and like they said to my partner at the time, our policy that she has our, our terms and conditions that she has signed is that. They have to wear a water nappy until they're finished attending water babies up to the age of six. But actually, I ha- I took a screenshot of the terms and conditions and it says babies slash toddlers must wear water nappies. My child is not a toddler. He is four and a half. He's a preschooler. Okay, so they can't really change that condition retrospectively, can they? No, not that I can see, no. And I rang both the manager and the owner and they are refusing to speak to me about it, uh, policy, um, which I find quite strange. Um, that they are just talking about the issue where my partner, in frustration, um, said this is something ridiculous. Effing ridiculous. Uh, Effing ridiculous. And she literally, when he said that, and the frustration, which I don't blame him for being frustrated about this, and the fact that she downgraded my child in front of everybody, when he said this is effing ridiculous, she said... You have to leave and put it in. I'm a lady. I will not be spoken to about this. And put it in to leave. And they won't. They're saying they won't force the policies because the way my parents react. Mary, could you move around just a little bit because the the phone is breaking up quite badly there. Could you maybe just find a better area or something? It's better now. Yeah, it seems to be better. Yeah. Okay. Let Let's look at the the mental implications here. You know the. What, yeah. what your child is thinking by suddenly saying, you know, I've been potty trained for two years. I haven't worn one of these nappies for two years. I'm four and a half. I'm a big boy now. And this person yeah, wants me to wear a nappy. How, how, do, how would that affect his well-being? How would that affect his mental health? My, my, the fo- his father said to me, um, I had to explain to our son that he cannot go into the water, into the pool because I want him to wear a nappy. And we know that he's too big to wear a nappy which is very upsetting for my child. And sorry, I'm getting emotional. That's okay. See his parents. <laughs> Thought by, thought by how to train our son. We, we spent a long time training our son, and we don't believe it's right for him to have to go backwards to a swimming. Yeah, has he ever had an accident in a pool? Never. Yeah, he I, hasn't I, worn a nappy even at night in two years. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I can imagine from the pool management perspective what has to be done uh, if an accident happens in a pool. What has to be done if somebody gets caught in the pool, right? Um, I, I was in a pool once and suddenly the, uh, everyone, the alarms went off, everybody out. Somebody had cut themselves in the pool and so the, the blood and whatever DNA and whatever possible disease is going to now be in the water. Even though uh, pools are chlorinated and even though they, you know, they, they deal with uh, lots of imperfections in people's bodies, can we say, uh, if somebody has an accident like that in a pool, they're going to have to drain the entire pool. Um, I'm also on your side thinking they can't retrospectively force somebody who never had to wear a nappy up to now to suddenly do it because they've changed their rules. Yeah, and I've spoken to two different... Um, um, like, I've spoken to a, a specific pool in Cork, not to do with um, this company, 
and another manager who used to run a pool and I asked them, is there a policy in most pools about what, about wearing nappies in a pool? And they have both said to me that once they are trained that they don't have to wear a nappy is what the pools would have. Mm-hmm. So, like, and I do understand, like, I do understand, look, um, things can happen in a pool and all of that, but that could happen to any aged per- child. Okay, um, so so what what the management said was they're, they're now going to cancel your son's membership for this term. They're going to they're refund going to you. Poli- they're going uh, to refund us. At which stage but your partner apologised profusely for swearing, uh, but was told repeatedly to please leave. Uh, yeah, so then, so then your son, who was already distraught, uh, and possibly, if I'm correct, I'm just assuming. I'm, I'm I'm assuming he thought it was his fault. It's my fault for not yeah. wearing a nappy. Yeah. So then I had to explain. When he came home, I explained to him again, look, Alex, we have to find somewhere else to take you swimming because they want you to wear a nappy and we know you're too big to wear a nappy. Yeah. So that's kind of um, mentally reinforcing him again. That yeah, it wasn't his fault. We shouldn't... We, like, and my point being, is if, if they had given us warning, if they maybe sent out an email or if they messaged us, they have all our contact details, prior to him attending the swimming pool then we as a family could have made this decision ourselves before going there. Whereas instead, it was approached in front of everybody. My child was downgraded in front of everybody about the situation. Yeah. Which, to be fair, is, I just didn't feel it was fair. And we have we have supported them for four years. We've pumped a lot of money into our child's development through swimming to try and do the best we can for our children. And then to be turned around and to be treated like this. Notwithstanding the fact that it's a very important life skill that it's not really good to be interrupting his progress. No, and he's been doing it for four years and now he just has to stop. Yeah, so he's a preschooler now preparing to get ready to start primary school. Um, That no child of four years of age really um, isn't potty trained or toilet trained. Uh, At four, four and a half, you do have the, the mental awareness and responsibility not to pee or poo in the pool, wouldn't you? Yeah, and well, I think if my if I thought my child wasn't able to control or be able to tell us that he needs to go to the bathroom, then I wouldn't be bringing my child to swimming in the first place. If you know what I mean. Mm. Of course. Hang on, hang on a second. We've got Claire on line too. Hi, Claire. Hi. How are you? I feel really bad for Mary. My child is four and a half. Um, I just asked her here how would she feel, and she was speechless. She was had a look of horror. She had a horrified look on her face. Um, I think if I put force my child to wear an nappy at four and a half. Um, you don't have a lot of damage control to do. One um, quick comment can really affect the child and you have to do a lot of damage control, whether you meet a not-so-nice person on the street, whether you say something reckless yourself to the child. Um, it's really, really damaging for this company to force an app beyond the baby. And plus, might I add, that particular water uh, swimming lesson is incredibly expensive. So the woman who said this to the dad, uh, you have to wonder, does she even have children herself? Did she ever have to deal with a child's emotional well-being? It's ridiculous. Okay, you obviously both know what you're talking about and who you're talking about, so let's kind of keep that... Generic, if we can, but I don't want to get us into any trouble here or any of you guys. Um, yeah. yeah, okay. Nobody can condone the language that was used. I do appreciate it was used under very stressful uh, conditions when, um, you know, obviously your child has been degraded to, uh, to, to wear a nappy. 
uh, this will probably put them into a little bit of regression. Am I still a baby or whatever? Um, so it's an unfortunate set of events, uh, a calamitous set of events, actually. You probably would have had stronger ground to stand on, Mary, if the swearing wasn't used. Uh, but I can also see why, uh, in protection of a child, uh, that somebody would use it in frustration. So wh- where do you go from here? Um, it, does this mean every child in that swimming class under six wears a nappy or gets a refund? Well, I'm not sure because it's still on their policies. And when I spoke to them about it, on their terms and conditions, it says baby slash toddlers. So to be honest, I don't think they're using the right term or phrase because that, to me, and if you, if you Google definition of a toddler... It's, it's, it's very very subjective. It's somebody who's... It's one, to three, one to three is the definition of a toddler. So I don't understand how a four and a half year old is being seen as a toddler. Yeah, I think toddler descriptively means... A child who's walking, but maybe he has a little, you know, a little side to side. It's learning to walk properly. So, what do you do? What do you go from here, Claire? What What would your advice be? Find another class. They're not. Uh, they're not very uh, frequent uh, at the moment. They're not very available. Yeah, like they're they're not. I made a few phone calls myself um, for other swimming lessons, and most places don't really want children under the age of five. Um, and plus, they're all booked up because of COVID. Uh, it's really unfortunate, but um, in terms of swimming, swimming lessons, I don't know, because I think that child now, well, I know in my personal situation, my child would put her back up and say, I'm not going next near a swimming pool again. But it depends on the child's personality, and my one is probably a bit stubborn. So... I mean, not to be negative, but I think that mom has a lot of damage control to do, a lot of positive reinforcement to do. Yeah, but uh, you know, you know the, the old adage: when you fall off a horse, the, the the best thing to do is just get back, get straight yeah. back up, and conquer As that I fear. Said, yeah, you're going to have to give a lot of positive reinforcement, a lot of encouraging, gentle encouragement, um, and I think the dad needs and the mom needs to tell the child. That that woman was completely wrong. The child needs to know that he was, he is being supported, and that will never be an option to put a nappy on a four and a half year old. Okay, it, it's absolutely ridiculous. But in terms of an actual swimming lesson, I don't know. I don't know if they'll give a refund. It that's very, that's very, um, that's up to them. You know, yeah. I don't know what kind of a leg she'd have to stand on. You know, Mary, we, we're getting huge can support I, for you. And can, can I just? Can I just put say something there as well? Sure. Um, just on, um, I just want to say that um, when I spoke to the company, they said they will not speak to me over the language. But um, that, um, but what I can say is that because of the way I spoke, my phone is your phone is breaking up again, Mary. Sorry, can you hear me? Yeah, it's better yet. Yeah. So that what they what they said is that they will not speak to me over the way my partner spoke to their employee. But what I get from that is that they they're saying that their employee um, is more important than my son. That they their their employee's rights are more important than my son's rights. Yeah, but you're not responsible for what your your partner did in the heat of the and moment. My, my so. son, my son is definitely not responsible for. Uh, ask partner. them. Ask them to come on and, uh, on the Neil Prendival show and talk to me, and I promise I won't curse at them. Can I just say something on that note as well? I have worked for years and years and years and years in hospitality, like since I was a young teenager, and. It does happen. People swear at you. And yeah, it's not very nice, but it happens. I don't think your husband went in like <laughs> like a cowboy. I'm sure 
it was evident that he was really upset and they are just using that as an excuse, in my well, opinion. He was upset. Just jumping on that and running with it. It's a classic excuse for them. Go on, Mary. He was totally shell-shocked by this. Like, he just, they were just going to their normal swimming class and then she'd be thrown with this, jo- this bombshell. Yeah, like, let, 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 me give you the, let me give you the groundswell of opinion that's coming in on text on 1850104. Uh, sorry, 0868104106. That's the other one is our phone number. Huge respect for Mary for bringing this point to people's attention. I think it was so degrading for the child and so disrespectful to valued customers to treat them like this, says Louise and Bearings. Spot on, it's more about that child's mental health. Absolutely outrageous, the poor child. Those water nappies would show under what she's wearing, or he's wearing, says another texter. My child is four and a half and would literally need therapy if I put a water nappy on him uh, and any type of nappy. I just asked what he thinks and he looked horrified. Uh, Hi Mick, on the swimming issue, do swim nappies even go up to that age group? I can completely understand that father swearing. That's not the issue here at all. And I think the company in question are using the swearing as an excuse. That's the feeling of our listeners. Yeah. Yes, and my main my re- main reason really for coming on as well is I just want to make all parents out there aware if they are sending their ch- children up for um, these swimming lessons that to be aware that they could be asked to put a nappy on their four and a half year old child. So just to be very careful and like I I just I work in childcare for the last twelve years and I really hold my hands up and I'm really strongly believe that no child over the eight, once they are potty trained at least six months that they should not have to put on a nappy and that's really why I just think it's it's just really bad like on my child's well-being and on any child's well-being because they work so hard and parents work so hard to bring their child's development up to where it needs to be and to be bringing that backwards I don't think it's it's fair. Mary it's actually quite ironic because you know swimming is really difficult and it takes a lot of practice they trust your four and a half year old to jump in the pool and swim underwater water and actually move in the water and actually swim. But they don't trust him to hold in his, yeah, uh, his body. toilet. That's completely ironic and hypocritical of them. Here's, here's another side of, of the argument here from another texture, okay? I attended swimming with my two kids from the ages of eight months until five years of age. I attended the very first classes when they began, and this has always been their policy as they rent their pools, and we did have classes cancelled due to accidents in the pool once or twice. Kids have to use a happy nappy in all classes, uh, up to five in this uh, particular service, but they offer an amazing service, and it's a small request. So that's probably okay if you're able to pre-warn the child. Uh, that you know, We know you're a big boy or a big girl, uh, but in this situation, you know, if you want to do the classes, you're going to have to wear a nappy. But what happened to you that, was... I, th- I think that's fair, like, that's what I said. If we if we were given the warning or if it was actually in the transient conditions, then that is something also the family could have made the decision. Whereas to be thrown, for this to be thrown at us at a, on a Sunday morning after my partner working six days a week and then getting up on a Sunday morning every week to bring his kids sure. to swimming classes. The, the other side of it, Mary, Mary and Claire, is that the word nappy is probably an unfortunate term. It's probably not the term that should be used for these things. It should be water protectors no. or something. Nappies, is, yeah. nappies gives the impression of uh, babe in arms, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, got to leave it there, but thank you very much, Mary. Thanks for being thank brave. Thank you very much for taking me on. Thank and, you very much. And thank you, Claire, for your comments and, and your thoughts as well. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Much. Cheers. Bye bye. That phone Bye. number again, just in case I get mixed up, is 1850 and your calls are welcome. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now, 1850 Red FM. And a very good morning to you at 20 minutes to 10. Some texts on uh, 
106 Here we go again. This is the waiting list one from yesterday. Child medical issues in Ireland. And the former children's minister hands back 60 million of her unspent budget. Wasn't that Catherine's opponent? Because she couldn't be bothered doing her job and securing the best possible care for our children, says a texter. On the subject of wills, a very engaging conversation yesterday with John Lowe of moneydoctors.ie. Mick, I did a will last year as I got married, and for a will for me and my wife, it cost us €525 for both at a solicitor's office. It's pricey enough, and when you die, they charge a lot for the probate works as well. Solicitors offer to do your will free of charge once they are appointed to deal with the probate, uh, says another texture. And can you please repeat the name of the website, etc., about making a will? Thank you. It's www.moneydoctors.ie. www.moneydoctors.ie. You'll get a choice of six different types of wills. You pick the one that's uh, salient and and uh, refers to your own situation, and it's going to cost you €50 Euros plus VAT, sixty-one fifty. Now, Cork Airport is investing over €40 million Euros between 2020 and 2022 to upgrade and enhance critical infrastructure to get ready, uh, as they say, for strong growth uh, to take off, pardon the pun, from the end of November into 2022 and beyond. It's the biggest investment in Cork Airport since the construction of the new terminal multi-storey car park, maintenance and other buildings and roads. Way back, how old is the airport, do you think? The new airport? Five years? Ten years? 2005 uh, to 2006 it was built. Tony Cullinan is on line one. Good morning, Tony. Good morning, Mick. Now, you are uh, an aircraft and an air travel enthusiast and uh, you keep an eye on everything going on there. So the traffic um, the traffic going in there, you say, isn't good enough at the moment. Well, I'll always look at what we lost. We've lost Norwegian, who got a licence to fly between Cork, primarily, and Boston. They've pulled out. Mm-hmm. We, had a, we had an alternative airline going from Cork to Iceland. They've pulled out. For a number of years, Air Lingus, I'm doing Cork to Turkey. That's gone. You, at the moment, you can fly with Ryanair to Tenerife or to uh, Lanzarote. Why is that, do you know? Because uh, you, you would have imagined yeah. they would have been flying right up to the closure. Charges in Cork Airport are too high. And who sets the charges? Is it Cork Airport or the DAA, the, the Dublin DAA. Airport Authority? Mick, I'll just catch your mind back. We 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 were setting up uh, an airline between Cork and Dublin back in 2019. When you say we, you were involved, were you? That's right. We had a number of investors involved, and we couldn't get a slot to land in Dublin. We were promised various times, and when was nearly put together in the end. The slots were pulled by somebody. But for some particular reason, Cork Airport was to be a standalone airport after Seamus Brennan, who was the most of our transport at the time, got the right. terminal built and we were to be standalone. As long as we're under the auspices of Dublin, we haven't a hope. And that's going to continue because of the, you know, the huge yes, behemoth yes. of an airport they built. Oh. Well, wouldn't a, a refurbishment of the older airport have done? Well, maybe, maybe, with the, maybe the way things are in the world, maybe we needed a, a modern facility. Now, I don't know how the facility cost, what it cost, over 200 million. I just cannot understand. But furthermore, I can't understand how a minister could give a commitment that we'd be debt free. And then let's believe that the debt is as high as it was back in, in the day. Mm. So, like, we have, we, have an, we have an opportunity at the moment to extend the runway to extend it that we can bring in a wide body jet that you can bring in an aircraft with two seats three seats or four seats in the middle 
and two seats, two seats on the other side. Which yeah, that would be the, the Boeing 777s and, and the yeah, bigger Airbuses. Or, 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 uh, yes, yes, something, or, or uh, the triple seven or, or the Max, some, some, something big that you're coming in with 350 or 400 seats. Uh-huh. And as long as they can, Lennon and Cock Airport, we're going to be down. Because it's all about bums and seats. Like if you can bring in a bigger aircraft to fly to Lanzarote, you can keep the price down. You can fly to Lanzarote or Dublin for 50 and 60 euros. Yes, you can. Yeah. You can't open Cork. And it's it's because the runway is too short. You can't bring in a wide-bodied plane. As I emphasize, bums on seats is what keeps the price down. But hang on, down. I don't think there's wide-bodied planes flying from Dublin to Lanzarote or Tenerife. It's all 737s. Or Airbus, if it's Aer Lingus. Yes, but the charges, the charges are far less in Dublin Airport to land and take off. Yeah, I, I've had this discussion before on Neil's show with uh, with Pat Dawson, who's uh, you know kind of head of the Irish Travel oh, Agents Association. The, 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 the Travel Agents Association, Pat. But we, we were we were speaking to Pat actually when we were trying to put this cock to Dublin and cock to Belfast together. We, we were speaking to Pat on a, num- a number of occasions. Yeah, Kerry to Dublin still survives, doesn't it? It does. There's a jet on at the moment, Ryanair. Yeah, Ryanair has a a, a Boeing. Uh, Seven three seven at the moment. Okay, but if let, 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 let's say it would be your aspiration that the, the people of Cork in the South could enjoy long haul flights, uh, you know, okay. to far off destinations, to proper hubs uh, like Dubai, uh, like Abu Dhabi, uh, that kind of thing. And uh, New York, yeah, New York. And, and New York, yeah. But as if if that happens, doesn't it take away the viability of the of these routes uh, from Dublin? Because we've christened before in this program. Patrick's key is Terminal 3. Pat Dawson honestly couldn't answer me when I asked him, do more people leave to go on holidays and business now from Cork Airport or from Terminal 3, which is the bus uh, set up well, on Patrick's I can, key? I, I can give you statistics. We have, we have the statistics. Just 16 trains leave Cork for Dublin in each direction every day. There's an excess of 40 buses. No, you, you do the sums. If that wasn't viable, it wouldn't be happening. Yeah. Back in 2019, we were down at Patrick's Key asking people at 2, two o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, if they had a preference to fly between Cork and Dublin or use the bus or to use the train. And 90% of the people, in fact, it was conducted on, 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 on a different show, actually after, mm-hmm. as a competitor on Cork, and we 93% of people had a preference to fly between Cork and Dublin. Regardless of the price, it was all about time. But like, is, is, is a flight from Cork to Dublin to connect with long-haul services from Dublin what yeah, you guys right. want or you think would work? Well, well, or or well, is the beefing up of Cork Airport's um, route plan, if you like, and, and its reach out into the world the better way to go for Cork people? Well, our vision, our vision of it was at the time that Cork Airport was only going to be like a regional airport. We weren't going to get the necessary traffic. And if you could fly between Cork and Dublin... We, we were proposing to plan minimum of five flights and two to Belfast every day. And if by having five flights, you could connect early in the morning with the, with, with the transatlantic flights over Dublin, because the, the, all those flights go between six o'clock in the morning and ten o'clock. It's not very nice to be going up on the bus at one o'clock in the morning when you could be leaving your airport. You're like people coming from, from, from West Cork, passing our local airport and having to travel to the train station or drive to Dublin. I met one man from, he was down near Baltimore, and he told us a story when he passes Cork Airport he's not halfway to Dublin and he's passing his local airport yep. he still has to drive like he's, when he passes the airport he still has to drive to Dublin for a meeting three times a week that takes 40 minutes yeah now I, I spoke to Kevin Cullinan 
uh, and he spoke very well and very eloquently uh, on the reasoning behind this. The timing may seem to be off for, for people. Cork Airport is closing as the world is opening up, and we did discuss that. Um, but this is now the reconstruction of the main runway over the next 10 weeks. It is, in effect, going to be the fastest large-scale construction project undertaken in the state in recent years. It's only going to be 12 months from funding approval to the completion of the main works, encompassing all that's involved there, the EU tendering, design, regulatory approvals and constructions. And uh, Niall McCarthy, is the managing director of Cork Airport, said all of us at Cork Airport welcome this investment and are fully committed to a strong, growing and vibrant airport into the future. So whatever the inconvenience of not having an airport here for a short while, Cork Airport will reopen, they say, on the morning of November 22nd, following the completion of these works and in time for Christmas. Mick, there's no point having a big Rolls Royce outside the door if you can't drive. There's no point having a massive terminal and a massive infrastructure if the flights aren't coming in. Like, you can't fly to, to, to Greece at the moment from Cork. You can't fly to Turkey from Cork. You can't fly to Lanzarote, the Ryanair, who, who are the only airline that kept the price down. At the moment, you can't fly to Birmingham. You can't fly to Manchester. Budapest? You, because Stobart, and then there's nobody who replaced Stobart. Uh, the Emerald are coming back in there, I think. Uh, Keith is on line three there. Good morning, Keith. Good morning, Mick. How are you? I'm good, but I'm running out of time. Uh, what have you got to say? Um, I, I'll be honest with you, I think Nile and the lads above uh, in trying to drive the, the airport forward is, is a good thing. At least once they have the, the airport done and completed, they have their wares to offer airlines. There's no point in offering them something that you don't have. Yeah, I, I've, I've seen pictures of the cracks in the runway as well. Um, I mean, I mean, what should happen, what should have happened, what I thought was going to happen with the, the airport when they did the terminal, especially post 9-11 and security, I thought, they, I think a good idea would have been to keep uh, the old terminal for arrivals. Um, and you could have shut down the restaurants and what have you. As you know, people, as they arrive, they're, you know, they're, they're gone. So Yeah, a couple you, of coffee stands would do if you're in, in going yeah, into arrivals. And then with, the, with the, the new terminal, just keep that for departures only and jazz that up. Um, yeah, a bit smaller then. I thought that that was going to be the idea. I thought that would have made absolute, because then you have effectively two terminals instead of just one. Um, so I think it would be a good idea to maybe refurb that just for arrivals alone and just keep the, the new terminal for the parties. Yeah, I, I don't see why a Cork-Dublin flight, a regular flight, uh, wouldn't work. Um, if, if you're going long haul, let's say you're going to Australia or Asia or somewhere, you, you know, you've, you've got a few choices. You can hub out of Paris, you can hub out of Amsterdam, uh, but principally people take, I'll, I'll take a break halfway. I'll stop in Dubai or Abu Dhabi or something like that. And to do that, I can either fly Cork, London, London, Dubai, or I can get the bus up to Dublin and go direct. And people seem to be more inclined to get the bus. Well, uh, yeah, it, it is convenient, but if you look at the likes of Cork Airport compared to any other European airport of it, I don't know of any other airport where you can actually be in the city in five minutes. You? Oh, it's, it's brilliant in that sense. Guys, will you hold on there one second? I'll be back to you in a moment. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. And I'm hopefully rejoined by Tony Cullinan, uh, aviation enthusiast, and by Keith, uh, who gave us a call in. Uh, guys, where do we go from here with Cork Airport? We're going to have to suffer uh, the lack of an airport now and lack of connectivity for the greater good uh, for the next 10 weeks or so. Hopefully back in full operation 22nd of November. But is Cork Airport losing out because people aren't supporting it? I don't think so. I think it's that we just haven't got the flights. We haven't got the destinations at the moment. 
in Dublin as long as Dublin can keep the price reduced and we've inflated the charges Stop public is going to pay all the time OK, Keith? I think, we need to provi- I think we need to provide the, the facilities first and, and, and if things don't change there'll be time enough to spit the dummy then Okay. There, there, there was a word of not being able to use the old terminal because it had some asbestos in the construction. Any truth in that? I have no idea. Mm. I have no idea, to be honest. I have no idea. You, you'd you'd imagine, I heard that rumour, but you'd imagine if it was, it would have been pulled down by now. Um, my understanding, there's plenty of buildings around Cork that are full use to have asbestos in it. So okay. as, long as, you don't, as long as you don't go at it, then there's no problem, is it? Yeah, there's a lot of nostalgic affection yeah. as well for the old building because it seemed to be more user-friendly. You had the bar up there where you could sit and have a beer and watch planes landing and taking off. The only place you can see the air, air side now uh, and, and watch planes taking off, you can't do it from the new airport. You've got to be up I'm by sure one of the hotels or something. You've got to be on the air side of the, of the security to see the planes landing sure and taking off. I'm sure there's parts of that uh, old building that aren't that doesn't have asbestos on it that they can utilize and use it for arrivals. Yeah, wouldn't wouldn't make a just fabulous it little shopping sense. shopping it mall or so, you know? It just doesn't make sense to have two access. Uh, you have everybody bottlenecking into um, the new terminal. It doesn't. It actually doesn't make sense when you look to your left. It's just sitting there lying idle. It just. I, I wonder, will the, the, the runway improvements bring uh, improvements in the availability and deployment of air bridges? Because it's the steps up and down uh, that most people associate now with, with Cork Airport. Um, I don't know. I think the lads should be given the opportunity anyway to, to do what they can with, the, with, the, with it up there, you know? So. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and as I said, we've had Kevin Cullinan on here um, and very, very well covered the topic of why this has to happen. Uh, the timing may not seem to be the best because of the pandemic opening up right now. Um, but it has to happen, and it will happen before Christmas, and they'll open again on November 22nd. Yeah, but well, this, is, this is it, and hopefully then it'll be good for everyone, you know? So. Yeah, and I'm going to speak to uh, Pat Dawson as well from the ITAA after 10. So final comment, Tony, what do you think? The big question, the big question is, will, will we get the airlines to come back in? Will okay. the charges go up, will the charges go up now as a result of the improvements being made? This is the question, but we never answered and never asked. Will the, te- will the landing and take-off charges and the passenger go- uh, charges go up? Okay, let's, let's, let's see if we can get a comparison of charges between Dublin and Cork and see if we are really being hamstrung. Guys, I've got to leave it there, but thank you very much, and we'll speak to Pat Dawson after 10 o'clock. Okay, thanks, Appreciate it. thank you. Thanks Bye-bye. a million. You can call us on one eight five zero one zero four one zero six or text or WhatsApp us on 0868104106. We have news at 10 o'clock on the way on the Neil Prendival Show. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on the Big Red Bench. That's the Big Red Bench every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. And Neil Prenderville returns on Monday morning. Good morning to Pat Dawson, the CEO at Irish Travel Agents Association. Morning, Pat. Good morning, Mick. Good to talk to you again. And This, yes. this is uh, the start of the rebirth and, and the regrowth, I suppose, of an industry that's been completely shut down uh, for you guys over the last 18 months or so. I know business travel and essential travel had to happen, uh, but the leisure travel and the feeling of safety that wasn't there uh, is beginning to come back with the vaccination program, with the <coughs> relaxing of restrictions in other countries. Uh, we'll get to Cork Airport in a moment. Uh, for the industry, though, uh, are you seeing the green shoots now already? 
Uh, we are, Mick, yeah, that, that has to be said, I suppose. Uh, you know, with the kids going back to school now, uh, the, the, let's say the mature people are going on uh, booking holidays and, and whatever, and certainly there has been, uh, compared to nothing, uh, since, uh, you know, the 19th of July with the, with the certificate uh, issued, certainly has improved things. And bookings are, you know, we're still travel agents, you know, their turnover this year will be about 15, 20% max on, on, on 2019. So, it has been a disaster and is a disaster, but we're getting through it and we've had some government help, but we need more to get us through. And uh, we have met uh, various ministers and uh, we had a meeting with the Department of Transport only 10 days ago and hopefully uh, they'll see fit to support us uh, as a sector like they've done to other sectors. Yeah, well, I suppose they're also supporting the staycation and uh, in, in keeping, the, keeping the money in Ireland too. Uh, and that's been a necessary element of the fight against COVID. But things are relaxing now. What are you seeing in the business? Are you seeing the return, for instance, of confidence in cruises or is it the return of confidence in family holidays to Spain and Malta well, and well, sunshine spots? Yeah, funny enough, Mick, I mean, the, um, the cruise business has, has really gathered pace and I would have thought six or eight months ago, you know, you're on a cruise ship and you're confined and everything else, but the, the, the getting on it is so strict and everyone is tested and you have uh, various tests before you get on and it's really tight and controlled and certainly we see a, an unusual uh, unusual growth in that but look, we're looking ahead to uh, 2022 uh, this year is, is, is a write-off and, and certainly we do expect uh, you know, good growth and, and uh, hopefully a bumper year um, for all airports and, and in particular Cork. Okay, and speaking of Cork Airport, I'm conscious I don't want to be down on Cork Airport because these are necessary works. They're undertaken and will be completed in record time. We are going to have to suffer the loss of the airport yes. for 10 or 11 weeks or whatever. November 22nd flagged as the uh, the date for completion and the grand reopening. There are other works going on uh, into the future as well. An electrical substation early 2022. Uh, and we've heard that Cork Airport has recently completed an upgrade of its ba- hold baggage security screening system to ensure that checked-in baggage complies with the latest and highest international standards. I suppose the real question is why do we feel that Cork is always playing second fiddle to Dublin or even being controlled by Dublin in its landing charges and in its routes? Well, it is that, but I mean, you know, uh, you know, uh, all of us that live in, live in Cork or near Cork want to use Cork Airport, and it's look at it, it's so it's so convenient, you know, you you, you know the terminals beside your car park or whatever else, and 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 it takes it's, it's hassle free, and and certainly the work, and, and I've said that, and maybe misquoted, I've said, and I've met management there, and the work had to be done. There was no other choice in doing it. Of course, also as travel agent, we've lost a lot of business because it is closed, but that can't be helped, and you have to look at the bigger picture. And and certainly, yeah, we you know we're, we're controlled by the HQ who provide funds and and the government. But certainly, you know, there is a sort of a, a disproportionate uh, of of number of people you know that travel from Shannon or from Cork and and out of Dublin. I mean, just almost ninety percent of of capacity is out of Dublin Airport. And certainly, uh, as I said, I said to various journalists yesterday that you know we we need more investment for the government in in the likes of in the likes of Cork Airport and certainly they need to grow more. I know the, the trans 
transatlantic we, we had it but you cannot uh, you know have a proper transatlantic uh, until you have a proper aircraft to do it on, on the shorter runway and, and, and that, that would happen in the future and certainly uh, I'd be very positive towards Cork Airport I, I would hope it would go further uh, I mean before the pandemic they had 50 flights a day and I know they're trying to get in other, other airlines which is very very difficult in, in this uh, uh, stage of, of, of the year it's very very difficult to get new airlines in because there are other there are 20, 40 other, other airports fighting for the same business so it's a big battle but um, uh, hopefully when, when the, the, the new runway is sorted out they get back to business and um, Christmas uh, will be full I, I would imagine and, and certainly you know they'll have a great 2022 um, and hopefully the, the travel industry will have Okay, is there a sense of, of Ryanair maybe reducing its dependence, well, the dependence is the wrong word, reducing its services uh, in Cork, that, that Lanzarote and that Tenerife connection not there up to the closure? Do, do you think Ryanair will return with some beefed up uh, selections of routes? Well, Ryanair is commercial animal, and they'll go where they can get the best price. And I mean, I know for a fact that, that the packages airlines are offered uh, in Cork Airport is huge amount of, of packages, huge amounts of money. But you know, uh, Ryanair are a big commercial organisation. They'll take every penny out here, and, and the, the bottom line is to make as much money as they can. And you can't blame them from that as such. But you don't sell your soul to them either, because you know you can't be sort of you know beholding to them. Um, in other words, they can dictate what what you pay them as such, and you have to be careful because loyalty goes out the window if you pay, if you don't pay up. So we just have to be careful about that. And people in Cork Airport are well experienced with dealing with different airlines, and and hopefully you know Airlingus will grow, other other airlines from Europe will come in and out of here as such. And uh, I'd be positive towards the growth in Cork Airport. Yeah, I, I remember the threat from the Canary Islands some years ago now to uh, increase the charges in Ryanair, uh, and Ryanair coming back and saying we'll just stop all flights and uh, suddenly the uh, 50 or 60 percent lack of tourism uh, made people realize okay we need Reiner more than we can actually admit uh, is that the situation around the place are people actually paying yeah, Ryanair to come to come to town yeah, well, I mean, they do. I mean, Ryanair is a fantastic success, and many of us wouldn't be able to get to places only for them. But, you know, there's a certain price you pay for an airline coming into an airport, and there's a certain price you can't pay and such. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, they're looking for long-term deals. They're, they're obviously looking for a big, big chunk of money. They're leaving the airports in, in the north of Ireland that, that had been there for the winter, and they've now pulled out. And it, it, it makes, it's like, they, you know, they're, they're arguing with Boeing at the moment to, to buy uh, extra max aircraft uh, they're saying look we'll wait five seven years and when the price is right uh, we'll, we'll buy more and when you're so powerful and so strong you can do almost anything you like yeah because that uh, you know if they're not getting the extra maxes I know they have another have they 201 or something on order yes, um, yeah. yes. Uh, when you're not getting the extra ones you can afford to play play games I suppose with the likes of a small airport essentially like Cork yeah so, well it's a bit like back in the day you know when when, when uh, one or two supermarkets, uh, you know, long time ago, um, 20 or 30 years ago, used to tell the farmers, look at, I'll give you tubins for your onions, take it or leave it. It's a bit like that yeah. as such. And that did happen. And, you know, the, the only worry I have is that an airline can get too too big 
and, and dictate the pace as such. Uh, and the likes of, of, of the Cork airports and the Shannon airports, the smaller airports, they have to fight tooth and nail uh, to get carriers in and, and they probably have to go beyond the call of duty uh, to pay up more as such. Whereas the likes of uh, Dublin Airport, everyone wants to fly in and out of Dublin Airport. There are 35 million seats in and out of Dublin Airport and there will be in 2022 yep. uh, and hopefully it will grow. And, and Cork and Shannon uh, certainly and, and Knock Airport they're, they're sort of, you know, under the cosh. But look at, uh, I think, um, with, with looking forward, I think we've got to look forward. And I look to 2022, where, you know, we have loads of inbound. Remember, the, the outbound aircraft to bring tourists in, remember that. So it's a two-way street here, and it'll help tourism in Ireland. All right, then, uh, let's look at the future as you see it for Cork Airport. Essential closure coming up. Uh, beefing up of infrastructure and uh, possibly, um, you know, the range of aircraft that can land. What sort of future do you see in the next three to five years for Cork Airport? Well, I think the big thing would be, you know, the new aircraft, uh, the 737s, uh, will, will get across the Atlantic to, to New York, that that, uh, that coast of, of the USA. And, and I think that's very, very important. And, and uh, uh, you know, uh, most of the time they have to go to, to, to Shannon or, or to Dublin, uh, where there are very fine airports, but you can't be, you know, half a million people have an airport within 15, 20 minutes drive. And certainly uh, Cork Airport will expand in Europe and, and the UK. And uh, I would certainly see growth in it as such. Uh, you know, next year, you know, it, it'll come back. It won't be back to 2019 levels as such. But, you know, they have a big battle on their hands. Uh, they have very experienced people out there. And, and, and certainly we, we see them battling away. And they'll probably maybe get to 2 million, 2 million odd next year. And then it'll grow further and further. So I'd be very, very positive about it. And also to bring, you know, their new jobs and new industries coming to Cork as well. And it's very important for for those companies for the, for the people to get in and out of Cork rather than fly to another airport and get buses or trains down because that day is over with. So I certainly look on it favorably and I'd be very positive. Okay, let's look at people's confidence in travelling and the red tape, the bureaucracy around COVID that they're going to have to endure. One particular question here, Mick, would you mind asking Pat Dawson about my son going to Malta in two weeks? What documentation will he need getting into Malta? Maybe we could look at this generally per destination, Pat. Yeah, well, well, the best, the best thing. I don't hold myself out to be a medical expert, but you know, there, there are great apps. And Reopen Europe is the best app you can use to to see what your terms and conditions are going to various countries, and it, it outlines all the countries in Europe in particular. And Gov.ie are the two other, are the other app where it gives you all that information as well. So you really need to look it up and 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 check it out. And, and make sure everything everything is in order. I mean, I've tra- I've travelled in the, in the summertime and certainly in and out of uh, out of Cork and in and out there is very very simple. The other side was you know a, a little bit slower, but however we came back into Cork and uh, everyone was through everything in twenty minutes. So okay. I think that's fantastic. Is a Verify is another app V I R V E R I F L Y. I think Air Lingus are using Verify. That can c- gather all of your documents and certification together. In my understanding. Yes, yes. And if people, I mean, I, I had a case uh, coming back where uh, one, one particular guy had, had everyone's uh, uh, certificate on, on his phone and, and they got separated and they were on the airplane and his buddy was inside the terminal and he just couldn't get on board because uh, he couldn't come through to check in because the cert was on the airplane. Okay. And he was left there. 
So you just have to be very careful and and go through it. And, and certainly if you book with a travel agent, they'll go through A, a to a Z. And, and it's very, very important that, that you have the correct document. But it, look, we're used to documents. Uh, we're, we're going to, rec- uh, to restaurants and bars and producing them. So from that point of view, look, at, we're getting used to it and uh, it should be a breeze from now on. Yeah, oh, by the way, I, I have Mick Mulcahy on my cert, right? Because I got it from my doctor and he knows me as Mick. I've got Michael Mulcahy, of course, in my passport. That going to be an issue? I would get that change, uh, Mick, if I were you. Uh, just don't have complications. Like, uh, there was John, like, for example, and Sean and stuff like that. Yeah. If there's somebody fussy, it can cause you a problem. For the sake of it, I would get a change and have ha- have it, the two uh, names exactly the same. I would do that. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, e-dreams and e-bookers, are these legitimate or stay clear? No, they are. They are. Uh, there are online travel agents as such. And now, the, the, the thing about them, they're not based in Ireland, and this is very, very important. And we've had experience uh, through the COVID of of people phoning the Irish Travel Agents Association about companies based outside of the state. And what you must remember is, if they're based outside of the state, they're not governed by the, the Commission of Aviation, which travel agents based in Ireland are. So, if you have a problem with them, you may you'd have to talk to, to the government where they are. Situated, so it is mainly the UK, or it could be Dutch. And some, uh, I remember last year, a person booked with an online travel agency, and and were based in China. But you lose a lot of your rights. Remember, if they're outside with EU, and the, there's great covering in the EU regulations about delayed flights, cancelled flights, and the compensation you get. So you really need to establish that they're based in Ireland. If they're not based in Ireland, you're running the risk of, 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 of trouble. There is no doubt about that. Okay, and in, on, on that on that general score, Pat, the, you know, the bricks and mortar travel agents have been challenged by the likes of Reiner. I remember, to be fair to Michael O'Leary, before he, uh, you know, just offered online tickets, you wouldn't put your credit card within 10 miles of, of the internet for fear it would be, you know, it would be compromised. Uh, now it's, it's, it, it really is standard practice for people to book their own flights and stuff. Where does the travel agencies you represent offer the advantage and the comfort and the security uh, that maybe doesn't happen on the internet? Well, the first thing is that your money is bonded and safe and guaranteed by the government. An airline's money is not bonded and, and safe. An airline goes to the wall, your money is gone, so there's no cover. Secondly, you have a human being to talk to. And that that's very very important. I mean, I, I mean, I've been frustrated, you know, with 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 insurance companies or what. You're holding online for fifteen or twenty minutes or whatever else if you need to talk to somebody. So I mean, you have a personal service. The you know the, the travel agent. If if you're a regular book with the travel agent, they know what you like and what you don't like, and 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 they're working for you. They're not working for their airline. They're not working for the hotel. And if you have an issue whatsoever, you can talk to somebody. And 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 that's the most important element of booking with a licensed travel agent. And you must make sure that they are licensed and uh, they're, they're either on our website or, or on the Commission of Aviation website. Well, I go back to the fact that if if you don't book with an Irish-based travel agent. You, and and you have hassle or trouble. And uh, I remember being on, I think on, on your station last year, and the vast majority of problems were, were coming from people who were booked with some UK companies, and they couldn't get the money back, they couldn't make contact or whatever else. So it's very important that you know the risk you're running if they're not Irish based. Okay, a texture says she'd love to find out where these 35 to 50 euro flights are to Lanzarote. When she looks up now, they're 350 to 400. Where's the value at the moment, Pat? 
Well, it depends. I mean, it it, it depends off peak. I mean, you know, there are, at the moment, Mike, there are very, very the capacity out of Ireland has been greatly reduced, and because the capacity is not there, that means there are fewer flights, and that means the prices are higher as such. Now, you know, I I I, I think this these sales that come out for nine ninety nine, I mean, there the might be one every hundred thousand or whatever else, and they're very, 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 very misleading, and and remember. Remember, you know, we all know this, but like, you know, uh, a, a, a flight is not, you know, you need more than a flight. You, you have to book your seat, you have to book this. So something that appears, you know, from will end up triple or four times the price as such. Sure, so, by the time you get your luggage and you get your seat well, or whatever, yeah, whatever I mean, you need. You know, you can back to, you can back to the, the, the olden days. Of, and I've seen it like you say, oh God, oh, this outbound fare is great and inbound. But by the time you get the comfort, you need a seat, you need bags and so forth. It's up to 200 euros. So this farm thing, you know, they're gimmicky and I, 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 I'd, I'd semi ignore them. It's, it's a, it's a look at uh, airlines, including Ryanair. I get them like every other day. Uh, when you, when you book with an airline, you get reminders of sales and, and they do a, a, a nice all, but that's a marketing tool. But, you know, buyer beware. Okay. Um, a texter says, my daughter booked uh, her leaving cert holidays for 2020 and still hasn't received a refund. These were booked in a Cork travel agent. Well, certainly, if the members of the Irish Travel Agent Association, if you call us, and uh, we'll certainly deal with it as, as, as such, and you can give the caller my, my number, and certainly we'll get on to it. Uh, it should be refunded, and, and that... That's very kind of you, Pat. Th- th- thanks for that. When will we, allowed, we be allowed to fly to the USA again, says Una? Well, I, I, I've, I've actually uh, a son uh, who lives in the States is flying back uh, tomorrow and he came over okay, but uh, the outbound, I, I'm told, I'm told by people who may know that it's, it's probably going to be into November. That's what I'm being told, but that's not a factual statement, but that's what they're saying now, it's, it's going to be November. We're, we're the same, we're family over there, we haven't, haven't seen our grandchildren for two or three years now as such. And Mark was over just doing some businesses, and we had him for a few days. But it's certainly going to be um, it's certainly going to be November. Okay, um, believe it or not, Knock Airport is a better airport than Cork. Says a texter, it has a better set of flight times and better selection of destinations. Cork could learn a lot from it. Any comment on that? Knock have done wonderful. I, I mean, I know Joe Healy and, and, and the staff there they have done wonderfully well from from, from their beginnings. And uh, they, yes, they have captured new routes and, and everything else. And they've done, they're, they're, you know, I was going to say it's a miracle, but uh, they have done fantastically well. Okay. And it's a credit to them. And they have great capacity and have a great selection of routes and, and fair play to them. Yeah, James Horan would be proud, I suppose, looking down on Knock. He would. Uh, any final comment? Uh, people, I, I suppose, are still reticent with, with the COVID variations in different countries to to book travel confidently should they take that step now and begin to explore the options for the upcoming winter and and upcoming next summer yeah i would say have a look and and you know um, you know maybe try out using a travel agent maybe if you haven't and just see how you get on as such and certainly yeah but look at just travel once you're comfortable don't travel you know if you feel you're not ready to go but i mean it's getting better and better and it's very very safe uh, and that, and you certainly can can enjoy yourself abroad. You get good weather, and you know, uh, a glass of wine is two fifty. Uh, a pint of Guinness is five euros, and a meal is ten fifteen euros. So that should that should invite most of you to travel. Okay, that's the Guinness dearer than here in most places, I think. You can bet it. You can bet your life. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm all for the green jersey, but let me tell you, I mean, 
um, having having uh, experienced of of going on uh, over to the, to, uh, to the west of Ireland and looking at the prices just for ordinary hotel two hundred and fifty a night ordinary hotel we are getting very expensive um, we're getting exper- very expensive um, for for our drinks or whatever and a bottle of wine and certainly you know. Um, Talking to people, family and friends who have holidayed abroad, we really want to cop ourselves on with with the price hikes that are going on in this country at the moment. Okay, fair fair enough. Thanks and well said, Pat Dawson, CEO of the Irish Travel Agents Association. Always enlightening and entertaining to talk to you. Thanks, Pat. Take care. Thank you, Mike. Bye bye. Talk to Neil Printerville now. Eighteen fifty one oh four one oh six Red FM. And it's just turned ten thirty. Good morning to you from the Neil Printerville Show, and good morning to Laura. Hi, Laura. Hi, how are you? No, great. You're looking for some help. I am, um, yeah. I'm ringing here on behalf of a friend of mine. She's um, waiting to try to get building work done. And obviously with COVID and everything, things have been massively delayed. Um, but things are on the move again. And they were kind of told now they'll have to be out of the house for the building to start. Okay. So they're, they're looking for kind of a rental accommodation for about six months around the all Middleton area. Um, so, like, she's been looking, obviously, but... Um, building kind of she was waiting and waiting and now they're back to her saying she needs to they want her to kind of kind of start in october they're looking to get the building going okay now uh what's going against you is a number of factors of course the rental market is there's a disaster at the moment looking for anything to be available uh and we're also looking at a fairly large family here are we we are yeah there um there's 10 of them there and then there's the little baby brianna as well so there'll be 11 of them so obviously they need to be able to sleep at least the 10 so maybe probably a four bed um house really like we i was kind of thinking maybe like a holiday rental that might be finishing off for the summer that might be available or do you know something that might help with that um um because they need a a, a constant oxygen supply for the baby um, as she has um, a few special needs because um, she was born at 24 weeks. Okay, let's not scare any uh, potential landlords off here now. This isn't... Uh, <laughs> uh, they're a large family, yes. There's mum, dad yeah. and 10 kids from 22 years down to 18 months but the eldest is away at college. So there's nine kids at home and it's just that the youngest who was born at 24 weeks has some health issues uh, and needs oxygen yeah, yeah. And, and some equipment or whatever. Uh, but that's fine too. They, they, they need to upgrade their own house for her. So this is a very heartfelt plea. For her and yeah. the rest of the large family, the work is starting soon. Uh, and so they need this to work out. So if there's any kind-hearted landlord out there who could take a large family, uh, they're not looking for any financial deals. I guess market value is what they'll pay. Yeah, they're, they're, they they want to get they just want to get out and get the building work started so they can get back in as soon as they can. Yeah, uh, and that's for the sake of the, all of the children, including the, uh, the the one born premature who has these health issues ongoing. Yeah. Okay, uh, and you were saying it's in the Middleton Stroke Yall area. Well, kind of Yall, yeah, they're kind of around the Yall area themselves. So, kind of Yall, Middleton, obviously, so, yeah. with all the kids with school runs and stuff. Yeah, general East school. Cork, so Castle Martyr, yeah. Killa, Mogili, that that kind of area. Yeah, all all that area. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we put it out there for you and hope uh, that uh, somebody will come to your aid. Bit of a tall order in the current situation where everyone is looking for rental properties. But if there is a kind-hearted landlord out there who can help this family, who are doing what they're doing uh, to better the uh, accommodation situation, really, uh, for all of them, but especially for the little baby uh, that was born at 24 weeks, then we really would appreciate it. All right. Yeah, uh, thanks very much. Thanks a million, Laura. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. We have some texts to... Uh, 
0868104106 on the uh, cyber attack on the health services. The health services are now using the cyber attack as an excuse for everything. So I've resorted to emailing the CEO of the hospitals for help and I get sorted very quickly. I can't go on air or, because I'm at work. Uh, somebody had been asking for the PIN number uh, for taxing your car. It's actually the last six numbers on your tax book. There's about seven or eight numbers on it. It's the last six numbers on your car's tax book. On the HSC, it's absolutely shocking, but not unbelievable of the HSC. They're not fit for purpose. It's all about big salaries and too many in jobs doing nothing again uh, on these big salaries. They need to be disbanded in order for a proper overhaul and improvement of our healthcare system, says Shona. Uh, and the tax office, we were uh, talking to someone who said the tax office was closed and they had to make an appointment. Cork County Council run the motor tax and are trying to put services online and redeploy staff to other services. Why are they doing this, though, when they're not telling people they need to make an appointment? At least they didn't uh, to the person we had coming up from Mitchellstown. The health services, again, uh, they're using the cyber attack as an excuse for every single failing, uh, says uh, another texture there. On the swimming issue, Triton's Swim Academy are looking for pool space in any pool around Cork. If you could please mention this and feel free to give out my number, it's 083-0058-234. That's from Karen Foley in Triton Swim Academy, 083-0058-234. Thank you so much from Karen Foley. Now, let's go to line one and to Mick Barry, who wants to talk about international yachting. Good morning, Mick. Good morning. How are you? Very good. I wouldn't have put you down for the international yachting type. <laughs> I, I'm only, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't think so, really, Mick. No. I, I'm only joking, but you believe that Ireland should not agree to host the 2024 America's Cup yacht race uh, because we're going to know uh, on the uh, 17th of September whether we are successful in that bid. We are up against Valencia, uh, which has already hosted the America's Cup and has an amazing array of facilities there, as well as probably, I dare say, a lot more sunshine than we in Cork. Why are you against it? Well, you're not quite right there, uh, Mick, so I'll just uh, make it clear from the start. Okay. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying uh, that I'm against it, and I'm not saying that we should say no to this, okay? Okay. But what I am saying is two things. Uh, first of all, uh, before we say yes or no, uh, we need to know um, what are the costs uh, for the taxpayer and what are the benefits from Ireland hosting this international yacht race, okay? Mm-hmm. For example, uh, how much would need to be spent uh, on infrastructure? Uh, Simon Coveney has said uh, that it would cost a lot of money, but we haven't been told exactly how much, um, how many millions, how many tens of millions uh, uh, would it cost the taxpayer to host uh, this uh, event. And then there needs to be... Um, an analysis of what are uh, the benefits uh, uh, from it. For example, um, the last city to host it, uh, Auckland in New Zealand, the official cost report after it uh, said that for every dollar spent by Auckland, they got 72 cents back. So it was a loss maker for them. Supporters of bringing the race to Cork and to Ireland say that, yes, that was during COVID and the numbers were down during COVID. Yes, no, nobody could, could avail of tourism in New Zealand. Yeah, um, and that uh, the last time it was held in Europe, uh, uh, it was a big uh, uh, money maker. But we can't do this on the basis of, you know, this is what I think or this is what might be the case. There needs to be a proper analysis. Now, the government did commission an analysis 
Uh, the analysis was commissioned from, I think, Ernst & Young. Um, but the decision is being made on this on September the 17th. So that's what? A week away? It's about a week away, yeah. Yeah, and this cost-benefit analysis hasn't been published. So the first thing I'm saying is it needs to be published. There needs to be a figure given on how much taxpayers' money is to be put into this. And there needs to be a debate as to whether we go ahead and do it or not. I think that's a fair point. I know you're a supporter of bringing the, uh, the race here. I, I'm, I, I just love being on the water in general. And we live, uh, you know, I know it's an old cliche, the second biggest natural harbour in the world, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I, I think some of the, some of the most happiest times that I've spent anyway is, is on the water. I'm drawn to it. Uh, and I'd love to see the spectacle here because there's a huge, huge build-up. Uh, the America's Cup is, is the absolute pinnacle of yachting. If you want to put it into context, right, the first America's Cup was contested in 1851. So that makes it the oldest trophy in international sport. That can't harm us. This, this trophy predates the modern Olympic Games by 45 or 50 years. Uh, so this is going to be the eyes of the world on Cork if we do if we do get it. I, I've also said uh, I don't think it can be staged without the uh, the grace of maybe Doyle Shipping and the uh, the old Verone Cork Dockyard as a staging post, perhaps Cork Harbour Marina, uh, which has the deep water facilities there. Uh, now, unless the government coffers dredge the uh, the river up to the Royal Cork and Cross Haven, um, but maybe that's going to be the entertainment section. Maybe the ferries will run all over Cork Harbour. Uh, I don't see the harm it's going to do here. Uh, I do understand you're looking at the national uh, picture the public purse, uh, as you say, which will have to bring this event internationally to a local area. There may be some questions to be answered there. Is that that what's worrying you? Well, it's, it's an interesting point that you make about being the oldest um, international sporting event. I've heard it said. Now I'm a bit dubious about the claim, but I've heard it said that it's the third largest uh, sporting event in the world behind the Olympic Games and the World Cup. Okay, that's, that's what uh, I've heard as well. I, I can think of others that I think would be ahead of it, but leave that to one side. It's a big international sporting event. Now, if Ireland was going to host a World Cup or an Olympics, I think the basic instinct of ordinary people would would be to say that's great. But they also would say, we, we want to hear a bit of discussion on this about what is it going to cost the taxpayer, what are we going to give, and what are we going to get? All We're right? going to give nine million first off. Anyway, if we get it on the 17th, nine million. Is the, yeah, is the first I understand payment. That, uh, the, the, the Irish Examiner ran a report the other day, and basically the gist of that is that the Irish state uh, would give €9 million Euro of taxpayers' money to what I understand is a private company uh, for uh, awarding um, the, the race to Ireland and uh, giving the green light for, for Cork to be the host city uh, for it. Um, but that's information that should have been out there months ago and weeks ago. Why is it up to the Irish examiner just less than 10 days before the decision is made to be putting information like that out there? There's been radio silence mm. from the government on this, other well, than to, Simon Coveney saying it would cost to be, a lot to be of money. Fair, to be fair, Simon Coveney has been more than a little distracted by the, the, the melodramatic affairs that have been going on uh, and for which he appeared before the Oireachtas Committee uh, last Tuesday. He's now, of course, in New York on official um, Department of Foreign Affairs business. Uh, so probably won't hear from Simon uh, until we get or lose this in eight days' time. So what you're saying, Mick, is that uh, an international sporting event will come to this country and come to Cork that it will involve the spending of taxpayers' money, which is going to run into the millions and possibly the tens of millions. And there's no information about that given out to the public before the, the government says yes or no, that's completely wrong. 
But when, wrong. when we accepted uh, the joint hosting of the Euros and then that didn't happen because of, of COVID, were all of these details gone into? Or is it just obvious that money would be made because the stadiums would be full? There, there's more information given out uh, in, in the example you quoted there than, than has been in relation to this particular one. And it's, it's, it's not automatically the case that this is a money spinner. I mean, I gave the example there I know that the, that it was in the COVID times, right? That's that that's that you know the case. Although the COVID times haven't left us yet either, but the last time around, the city that hosted this, um, you know, for every four dollars that they spent, they got less than three back. They lost significant sums of money. So I'm not saying no. I'm against this coming here. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying that there needs to be information, detailed costings how much taxpayers' money is spent up front and a proper debate before the government says yay uh, to this. I think that's a fair and a reasonable point of view. And I also, uh, in the, the, the little statement that I sent you there, and I'd like to maybe make a couple of brief points on this. Sure. Uh, I raised some points about the question of access uh, um, to, to the sport uh, and to sailing in general because there is... Um, there is, uh, you know, there are plenty of examples in recent times of big international sporting events coming to a country or to a city. And it's, it's like the wave coming in and the wave coming out. You know, it, 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 it's great when it happens, but then afterwards, there's nothing left behind. There's no legacy. And if this is going to happen here, there has to be a legacy in terms of um, improved facilities for all people. I mean, this is described as a, an elite sport, but yachting also is an elitist sport. How is, is yachting a- an elitist sport? Did you ever go out on a Sunday uh, and see the hundreds, I mean hundreds of young children in optimists and toppers and fevers that, that are being coached uh, on the Curlane Bank behind Spike Island by the Royal Cork? Absolutely unbelievable. And you can get into that sport much cheaper than you can get into golf or, or any of the other uh, sports that young people get. Much cheaper than horse riding, for example. Uh, and, and very good physically, uh, mentally, you're in the open air. It, it, of course, every sport has an elitist element. Uh, rugby have their World Cup, soccer have their World Cup, uh, uh, golf have the Riders' Cup and the Solheim Cup. Uh, well, the, I, I would say that for a young person from Farnry or a young person from Mayfield, it's far easier to get into hurling or to get into soccer than it is to get into sailing. And, and that needs to change. The, this sport needs to be opened up so as it can become the property of anyone who wants to be involved, any young person who wants to be involved, and that has to be part of a legacy if this event is going to come to this country and to this city. I think that's a fair and a reasonable point to make as well. Yes, I, I agree with you. In, in Monkstone, where I live, there are sailing courses for all who wish to take part. Oh, the only caveat for insurance reasons is you must be a family member. You can do that for as little as €280 Euros for the year. Uh, and dozens, I mean dozens and dozens of children from out of town, from out of, uh, away from the water, from the north side, come down, join, have a social element, and it's quite open to them. Um, I, I don't see where you're seeing the elitist thing here. Well, maybe maybe see what the, um, the, the listeners think in relation to that. I think that there is uh, an elitist culture around yachting. Uh, I think a lot of listeners uh, would agree with that, and I think... Uh, this is a sport that needs to be opened up to all ordinary people and all young people who want to participate. And there needs to be 
a discussion about how that can best be done and and, and, and then uh, measures put in place uh, as, as part of this whole uh, uh, discussion. Yeah, I, I mean, when, when Wimbledon's on, every child is out with a with, with a tennis racket. Um, don't you think the America's Cup would open up the uh, sailing as a sport and as a recreation, as a pastime? Not everybody races the boats. Not everybody uh, competes for, for silverware. There is the elitist element of, uh, you know, of yachting and people who have a lot of money to throw, to throw at it. Look, look at the uh, spectacle of the, uh, the Fastnet race, the Rolex Fastnet race. Millions and millions put into that. Uh, and what a great spectacle and what an endurance test for people. There's all elements to the sport. It's not just elitist. Is, um, I think your point is right there uh, that uh, there would be uh, an increased level of interest uh, in it. But you need to make sure that the increased level of interest is then matched by making it uh, uh, easy and to encourage people to get involved in the sport of uh, uh, sailing. And there would need to be a debate and a discussion. Okay, uh, Anna's on line too, and she's wondering if, you, if you'd prefer if Dublin got it. Good morning, Anne. Morning, Mike. I'm in Monkster, Mike. And the number of children, as you know, that go out sailing here in Monkstown is wonderful. And it's great for them. They have uh, classes every year and the place is jointed. And they come from everywhere. That's what I've been saying. It's, yeah, uh, and, and, and that's small compared to what's on the water every weekend and, and during the summer courses from the Royal yeah. Corps. Yes. So it would make Barry Paris was in Dublin, in Dunleary. The answer to that question is no. The answer to that question is no. I would not prefer that. I'm quite happy to see this event. Yeah, I'm trying to answer your question there. Okay. (laughs) Okay, the answer is no, I would not prefer to see it go to Dublin. I would not prefer to see it go to Dunleary. Uh, I'd be delighted to see the event come to Cork, but I want to make sure uh, that there's a good deal for the taxpayer and that the increased level of interest among young people means that there's even more young people than the number of young people that you're talking about. Yeah, of the we, we here in Monkstown, we have a, a slipway for disabled sailing. All children are, are allowed to come into it, no matter where they are or who they are. That's good. Yeah, well, so then and it seems, it's probably the same in Cove and Crosshaven. All, all of the harbour towns. Eddie English sails with Sail Cork out of East Ferry. There's sailing yeah. um, sailing courses out of the uh, slipway, I believe, in Ahada, Lower Estella, yeah. Lower Ahada there. Uh, of course, Crosshaven is a huge one by virtue of the size yeah. of the club. Uh, Cove uh, have their sailing club, Cove Sailing mm-hmm. Club, mm-hmm. Uh, in uh, in White Point, and then there's Monkstown Bay Sailing Club, yeah. Passage Rowing Club. It's not just sailing; it's it's water sports it's in general. Water sports, yes, and, all and there's rowing on the river. It's, 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 I don't I don't think it could be more open to all elements of society. Uh, if uh, people in Mayfield and Nocturnia, as you say. Make, are feeling disadvantaged because geographically they're not near the water. Uh, we've, we have, I, I assume, good public transport services, yes. good road services. They can drive down there. Uh, I mean, you, you can't blame sailing because people live on the north side. It's open to everybody. Honestly, yes, it is. Of course. I mean, you know, make the weekends here, the, the traffic, the cars parked. That's all for the sailing. Yes, uh, I want to get a quick comment in from Jerry before we go. And thanks okay, a million. Th- thank you. Thank you very much, Jerry. You there? Bye bye. Hello, Jer. No, not getting Jer. Okay, Mick, we'll, we'll wrap it there. Uh, let's see if we can get Jer on line three. Nope. Uh, you still there, Mick? Yeah, I we, am, okay. but I have to go fairly okay. soon, Mick. Uh, no bother. I've got news on the way. I'm going to need to go as well. Jer, final comment there from you. 
uh, just kind of as a bit of leisure to be talking about yachting. Like, that's, that's kind of a refined idea and the, the general public haven't a clue about it. Like, Okay, so you, you think it is an elitist sport? I think it's very elitist. It's, it's, it's more expensive to run a boat than it's to run a race car. It depends on the size anyway, of the boat. Like, you can have a rowing boat. You're only, you're literally only, to keep a yacht on the water, it costs a fair amount of money every year, like. Okay. You want to be earning millions upwards, have something like that on a constant basis. I mean, you get into competition, you're talking more money. But it's not, it's not relevant to fucking the general public. I just wonder what happened to the radio station when you're talking about yachting and stuff like uh, football and soccer and all that kind of stuff. Okay. That's more akin to the general public, like. All right, fair enough. Each to their own. We'll, we'll finish it up That's there anyway. Okay. Well, Thanks, Ger. Okay. Thanks, William. Make final words from you. Yeah, just to sum it up again, I mean, we kicked off by saying that, you know, you asked me why was I again this, and I'm not saying that I'm again it. I'm saying that the country shouldn't say yes or no until such time as the people have been given solid facts and information about how much money, taxpayers' money, is going to be involved in this and what are the costs and what are the benefits. And if the country decides to go for it, well then... There has to be a legacy. It can't just be the wave coming in and the wave coming out and, and, and then the circus leaves town. It has to be that there are uh, real improvements and the key improvement that I'm focused on is getting more people involved and they're not being uh, uh, barriers in the way of ordinary people and young people getting involved. It has to be fully opened up. I That's contend it. those barriers don't exist, Mick, but let's agree to differ on that. Thanks well, a million. we'll see what the listeners think. Okay. All right. Thanks a million. It's uh, coming up on 8 minutes to 11 o'clock now. We're back in a moment. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. And the uh, text line is hopping 0868 104 Hi Mick, we also have a slipway for disabled persons and anglers in Formoy, but they can't access the river due to water levels, due to the conditions of the weir. That's an old chestnut there. We've dealt with that one on the programme before. That's from Chris in Formoy. Thanks, Chris. Ross called to say this is not an elitist sport. Utter nonsense. Another texture says, of course yachting is an elitist sport. Yes, there is an elitist element to yachting, uh, but recreation on the water I do not call a sport. Uh, I call it more therapy and enjoyment. Mick, this is not a sport. It's like playing pool. It's not a sport. Sport requires some actual endurance, says Larry in Mitchellstown. Well, I think some sailors who endure quite a bit uh, in their recreation and in their travelling and in their cruising and in the bad weather and the navigation would disagree with that. Uh, Another texter is wondering, is there anything that Mick Barry agrees with? Uh, It's a sport for the rich, and how many people can afford a yacht? Uh, For God's sake, says John. Why doesn't every single member of our so-called government shipping uh, and pay for chip in, I suppose, and pay for this event instead of the Irish taxpayers? I'm sure it wouldn't hurt their pockets. I'm very serious too. On sailing and McBarry, McBarry is being negative for the sake of being negative. There is no foundation for his comments. All the world exposure it would bring is positive, says Chris Toomey. And of course, it would bring a huge boon in tourism uh, uh, for years to come. And we would have the facilities for future generations for years to come. Thanks for that uh, comment uh, on uh, 0868 Chris. Uh, just trying to uh, do some housekeeping, get through some of the uh, 
texts we got over the last few days. Huge amount of them on cycling. Try cycling from the railway station to Little Island. Trust me, I've done it. The footpath is the safest option, says Morris. What would the listener think of the situation in the city where cyclists travel at really high speeds on busy footpaths or when cyclists drive the wrong way on a one-way? The simple thing to do is stay off the road if you don't pay road tax. Is that fellow for real? Helmets no use. This is rubbish. Helmets saves lives. Does Darren think people on motorbikes shouldn't wear helmets too? This is why motorists, uh, motorists dislike cyclists on the road. They should all be made pay road tax. Uh, this guy hasn't a clue. And one more on cyclists. Obviously, this cyclist doesn't drive a car. Everyday cyclists cause mayhem on the roads. And they've gotten worse since the Green Party got into government. I'll, it'll never change until the RSA get their act together. Coming up on 3 minutes to 11, we have news at 11 on the way on the Neil Prendival Show. Hey, it's Kira. Tune in to Saturday Breakfast on Red FM from 7am and wake up your weekend with music, chats and all that's happening in Cork. That's Saturday Breakfast on Red FM with me, Kira Revens. Officially Ireland's music station of the year. This is Cork's Red FM. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Pat, I know you're under pressure for time. Thank you for coming on. What have you got for us? Mick, how are you? Good. I just wanted to make a comment there on what Mick Barry had suggested, that people from Mayfield wouldn't be sailing. Um, we're from Mayfield, and my two eldest daughters sail most weekends. Um, and I, I feel, again, like the opportunities are there. Some people just don't want to explore them. Um, again, if you, if you travel to East Cork most weekends, the beaches are full of people from the north side enjoying the seaside. They can make these journeys on the same time, even during the winter. Uh, the, the sports are there. The facilities are there. And it's not an elite sport. Not yeah, we, have, we have many hundreds of, of slipways around the coast. If you go to, uh, if I work my way from, from west to east, uh, from, uh, look at Crookhaven, hundreds on the water. Skull, hundreds on the water. Uh, Baltimore, Baltimore, hundreds on the water. Landor Union Hall, hundreds on the yep. water. And, and it goes on and on and on all over the coast. I don't see where the yep. barriers are. I know there's a little bit of investment, but you'd invest, invest in a golf set or, a, or, you know, horse riding equipment or something. Uh, and for the most part, with the clubs, you can sail for free anyway. You, you can indeed. Or, or they, the clubs will work with you to facilitate it for the kids. It's, it's about their own interest in the clubs as well, of keeping the clubs going and getting the, young, the youth into it. Um, again, just because someone is born by the seaside won't make them a better sailor than someone who's born from more inland. I mean, if someone wanted to suggest that Mayfield just by geographical location is not on the coast, that's fine, but we're not a million miles away from it. Again, if, even if someone is born in the Midlands, that doesn't exclude them from sailing. There is sailing all the way up and down in, on, on all the lakes in, in, in the Midlands. And, and some very, very good, exciting clubs there. It's, it's not an elitist club. And, and as far as should Ireland go for the America's Cup, 100%. I mean, we've, we've gone through a pandemic. The country is on its knees. The world is opening up now again. This is the one opportunity to put Ireland on the map. It's, an, it's a golden opportunity for the Irish Tourist Board just to sit back and guide the promotion of our country. They won't have to uh, do the planning for it. They won't have to do the actual controlling of it. It will, the, the fact that Ireland will be associated with this major worldwide event it will just promote Ireland worldwide. Yeah, Pat, outside of fresh air and, and camaraderie and, and, and learning skills, uh, what, what does sailing give and learning sailing give your two girls or your two kids? Uh, I, I would venture they don't feel elite. Not at all. No, 
not at all. And, and of course, it gives them, a, a, you know, an understanding of, of obviously, it, it, you're, you're going from safety level, from navigation. It, it, it explores, again, other avenues that even when they're watching a situation unfold, that they're thinking about a safety element. They're looking at it. It's, it's, it's giving them maturity, obviously maturity for the water, for one. But it's also bringing it back onto a situation where it's saying, oh, like, yeah, I never thought about these things and about how dangerous. And it, it just, it gives the kids knowledge. Knowledge, again, another element of knowledge, which, which is which is valuable to them. Okay. It's, it's just... Well, well said, Pat. I know you're under pressure for time. That's that's uh, very much appreciated yeah, I, you coming on. I, I, I just don't like the actual fact that just because of a geographical location that someone has suggested that there aren't sailors from the north side. Yeah, that's... Particularly when he point, finds that, out Mayfield. That, that's, you know? what, that's what I was trying to put words around. I've sailed with many people from the north side and they love coming to the water and, they, and, and they're born by the water. They're just north of the river. Um, yep. You know, I, I just don't get this whole elitist thing. I, I don't subscribe to the, the top end of the sport, you know, the, the, the elitist sailing, the expensive side of things. But that's in every sport. It is, of course. It, it, it's all, there's different levels in every sport. But you, 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 you've got to start at your level. And that's what it, that's what it and it's the base level of beginner's course, getting to know it and building up through it. And, and, and it's, it's the time of doing it is when someone is young and getting them involved in the sport and getting them to appreciate what's there. And, and it's, it's invaluable for them for the rest of their lives. Yeah, and, and, and it's all at one level, sea level. And, and you know, you're, you're, you're going to have your alligators in rugby, you're going to have your snobs in golf, you're going to have a snobbish element in every sport. Um, but, uh, f- you know, for children starting, uh, I think it's one of the greatest activities they could do. Even just not sailing, just getting on the water. Just exactly. Getting on the water, whether it's, it's, whether it's, it's, it's rowing, you know, or kayaking. I, I mean, there's, there's a fantastic... I, I'm going to call it a club now that, that's using the river, doing the circumnavigation of the River Lee in the city. You know, and this has opened up to people again that, that hadn't the opportunity to even go kayaking or didn't realise that it was that it was possible. And um, the next element of that is on September the nineteenth, um, and that's the actual circumnavigate the city of Cork. They generally start in Crosses Green, uh, paddle down, turn back uh, west, going up the North Channel, coming back down again onto the South Channel, and ending in Crosses Green. It's, it's again, it's it's an opportunity for everyone. Yeah, it's it's there. These. It, it is there, and just someone's just because someone's geographical location, whether they're north side, south side, whether it's Mayfield, Nocteenia, or whether it's Douglas or Rochstone, the opportunities are there, and people are there, and they're using it. But you know, I, I just didn't like this elitist that it's it's about a geographical location that this sport will suit you. That's not that's not what what it's about. I agree, and thanks for that, Pat. No problem. Thanks, William. Cheers. Thank thanks. Bye bye. Let's go to line one. Fiona, you are a singer songwriter. Hi, Mike. I hope you Hi. remember me now. <laughs> Fiona what? Fiona Kennedy. Of course I remember Fiona Kennedy. I just have Fiona on my screen. I didn't have Fiona ah, Kennedy. Ah, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I played for the, the America's Cup, Mick, in Auckland. Um, a very well-known uh, yacht designer, Ron Holland. I'm sure you've heard of Ron. I've heard of Ron, and, and uh, I've seen many boats and been on many boats that Ron Holland has designed. Yeah, sure. He's he's an amazing, like... And he was based, he's, he's a Kiwi himself, and he was based in Kinsale for many years, um, just across from the app club there. And he heard me playing in Kinsale, and we became friends over the years, and uh, we used to play together in the Mad Monk in Kinsale. Anyway, um, Ron brought me over to New Zealand, myself and my partner and uh, my little daughter at the time. We went over to Auckland for the America's Cup, and like, what an experience. I was playing, Ron used to do a little bit of percussion as a hobby and sure he knew everybody on the New Zealand team mm-hmm. 
and he was, you know, he was like a bit of a celebrity over there. So I was going along in his wake, basically. But uh, once I started singing then, I kind of, you know, got into the flow of the whole thing and uh, I was entertaining the teens in um, a big sort of a central hope called Headquarters in Auckland. And Auckland is also known as the city of sales, like they are hugely in sailing. There was no element of elitism whatsoever in, uh, you know, in, in this, I, I didn't think. The whole city, the whole country was absolutely galvanised by the America's Cup. It was on TV. We were all wearing these red socks, lucky socks. I still have them. I have it in my hand here now. I still have it as a souvenir of the time. And uh, I think, you know, I mean, Irish people are naturally drawn to the water. As you had said, they're already, you know, you're drawn to the water. I have a new single out at the moment. It's called Where Else Did You Get It? And it's about being out in a boat with my dad, uh, fishing, fly fishing, which is another element of being on the water. Oh, the, the angling is, side of things is, is, is huge. angling, yeah. And I mean, we had a boat down in, in Killarney and every time we'd be out in the boat, dad would say, I mean, it was magical, absolutely magical. And dad would say the same thing every time. Where else would you get it? And I wrote a song about that. And uh, it's number one on the iTunes chart. Hey, moment. well done. But like, yeah, thanks, yeah. Million. I, I was on the water a couple of nights ago and, and I actually posed a question to one of the people on the boat. I said, I wonder how many people in the greater Cork area have actually experienced being on the water in Cork Harbour. I'd say it's a small percentage. Small enough. Well, yeah, maybe in Cork Harbour, but I'd say loads of people have been out on the water in general. Because Irish people, they, it's in their blood, like, you know, we're living on a small island. I feel something like the America's Cup, it would provide so much work for people like me, again, musicians, that would be, you know, really uh, thirsty for work now at the moment, after everything that's gone on. I mean, it would bring back the whole vibe of the Ford Week, which used to be a huge thing in Crosshaven and Cork City, and it had all sorts of spin-offs. And it would just introduce a whole new flotilla of people to sailing, which is a wonderful sport. And uh, there was a comment earlier uh, that you don't need any endurance for sailing. Somebody needs to bring that guy out on a boat for, for a day. And he'd know about endurance if there was any bit of uh, heavy weather. So oh, oh, oh big, big time. But what, what, did you, um, what did you feel New Zealand gained? This was the uh, New Zealand of the late 90s, was it? It wasn't uh, the recent one. Yeah, it was. No, it was. Yeah, it was a long time ago now. Um, I, it, well, it, it was just, it gave a huge sense of community to the whole country. It was like something, you know, when we all got behind the, the team at the time of... Um, oh, Jack Charlton. I, I, I contend yeah. that's, where the, that's where the Celtic Tiger began. That's where the Celtic yeah. Tiger was born, with the pride that uh, Jack uh, allowed us instill in our nation and in our team and in the, the crack we had in the pubs and the, the leaving work early and... Roddy Doyle and the van and all that kind of thing. Exactly. It was just the whole country was just gripped with this. It was the headlines every day. I mean, we, I know much about sailing only through Ron. And we were, God, it, it introduced us to it. I mean, though, everybody, I, I feel that it really could do the same for us because Ireland and New Zealand have many similarities, you know, both in size and geography. And I think an event like this, it, it really could get us all together, give us that, that old high, give us a big distraction also from everything's gone on over the last in almost two years now. Wouldn't it be a great thing and something different, you know? It's, it's, uh, and it's involving sport. It's something that we could be really good at, you know? So, oh, bring it to Cork. Yeah, really, the, absolutely. I'll have to write a song about it, Mick. 
Yeah, the, 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 one, the, the, one, the one major difference I find here, and, uh, and if you visit France, you couldn't throw a stone in France without hitting a, a marina. Uh, we do need more shore landing facilities, and that's to everyone's benefit. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, sure, we're surrounded by water, rivers, all sorts. I think, I mean, I know, I can see where uh, Mick Harry is coming from, and I know, you know, that one would get to feel, oh, sure, you know, the snobs know, and there'll be boats and that. But you don't have to own a boat. You can go crewing on a boat, or you can, you know, there's all sorts of community sailing events, like down in Skull, I know that the school does a lot of uh, community sailing, and you, you, you don't have to own your own boat at all. Yeah. And, you know, and and there's like there's no barriers to people. Uh, we've had Richard Marshall on this program before, Cork Harbour boat hire, uh, and he's got the big uh, exciting thrill rib, and he's got uh, probably seven or eight or even ten of of the plastic whaleys, and you see all and sundry uh, getting on those. I think it's less than fifty quid for an hour for a family, and they're shepherded around by a, a, a you know a, a support boat, if you like. And people can actually drive the boats themselves, even if they've never been on the water. All safe, life jackets, the whole thing. I, I don't see where the barriers are to getting on the water. Uh, I know there are an elitist element in sailing, it's like they do in every sport, but I, there's no barriers to getting on the water in Cork Harbour. We may be lacking uh, in disabled access to the water uh, in, in a way. I know there's disabled access to the spike ferries, disabled uh, access and egress uh, at Spike Island, but I know some of the slipways and some of the marinas could do with... Uh, with uh, beefed up access for the disabled. Yeah, well, I mean, they did a lot for the disabled in Kinsale Yacht Club. I know that a friend of mine, Michelle, uh, was working a lot on that over the years in the past, and uh, they have facilities for, for for disabled sailors. And I think it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's introduced all of us from a family in, you know, suburban Cork to yachts, introduced us to sailing, introduced us to to New Zealand. I, I ended up going back to New Zealand nearly four times. I did wow. tours in New Zealand. Yeah, oh yeah, I absolutely loved it. So people will come here from other countries for the America's Cup and I um, have no doubt, I mean, where else would you get it when they see the beautiful scenery and the lovely friendly people, they will start a love of I think it's going to be a tourism boost for decades to come if we get it. Huge tourism boost. Absolutely, it will be. I, I mean, it, I, I saw nothing but benefits when I played for the America's Cup in Auckland, I have to say. Okay. So, really, I, I, I think um, it would be a mistake now not to, not to go with this. If you want to capture the buzz of the America's Cup, I know it's a little artistic license being taken in the movie. There's a brilliant movie called Wind uh, featuring Ma- Matthew Modine and Jennifer Grey. She was in Dirty Dancing. Uh, it's an old one now. Uh, but it details the the match racing in the America's Cup and the fun that uh, was had in Australia. Uh, so it's just loosely based around the America's Cup. It's called Wind, Matthew Modine and Jennifer Grey. But uh, keep singing, Fiona. Fiona Kennedy, Cork singer, songwriter and uh, fan of New Zealand and regularly touring there. Well done. Thanks a million. Thanks, Nick. And thanks. Cheers. Bye-bye. It's amazing the number of calls we're getting on this. And Liz uh, says that there are two Crosshaven lads who got a scant mention for the boat they built for the America's team, uh, for the American team. Um, good morning, Liz. Morning. And morning. those two lads would be, uh, one of them is Killian. Is that Killian Bush? Killian and Fergus. Fergus, okay. Uh, Killian tell, and t- Fergus built one of the America's Cup, I don't know how many years ago. There was that now. Actually, and Ron Holland started his business in Crosshaven. That's right. So, why wasn't that mentioned? Uh, I, I used to own an old boat that, uh, that Ron designed called Iberian Shamrock. Oh, uh, I remember that at all. But uh, we needed a bit of publicity too. So Crosshaven was 
is would never got any recognition. The Athlub below didn't ever give the two lads, Killian and uh, Fergus, any recognition. Actually, they still have a brother here who is a shipwright. That's right. Is he that Mark? Local Crestleven boat chart. Uh, what is that, Mark? Yes. Oh, you know them all. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Okay, uh, and of Mom course, was very disappointed that he they never got. There wasn't a mention of those two lads. Yeah, one, one person that did mention Crosshaven very strongly and, and in favour of the skills that resided there many years ago was Francis Chichester, because they built a boat for him that he took around the world as well. Yeah, that's right, they sure did. So I just wanted to give the two lads a mention. Uh, okay, and hi to everyone in the Costa del Crosser. Okay. Thanks, Liz. Thanks a million. Cheers. Bye-bye. It's 23 minutes past uh, 11. Now we're back in a moment. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. And now to a change of topic. And on line three, we have a young uh, film director, young Cork director, a camera, camera operator, sound man, script writer, and actor joining us. Good morning, Michael. Hello, Neil. Thank you so much for having me. It's Mick, actually. People keep making that mistake, but don't worry oh, about Mick, it. sorry. <laughs> no bother. Uh, now, you previously piqued the attention of Amazon Prime with a short film called COVID Era, uh, and uh, you've released your first look at uh, your upcoming film, which is featuring uh, the Young Offenders star Dominic McHale. Who did he play in The Young Offenders? So he played Sergeant Healy in The Young Offenders. Oh, yeah, okay. He's, uh, that's, I, can, I can see the likeness here now, okay. Uh, now, yeah. you're, you're not... Um, you're still a teenager. You're not an old yes, I'm director. I'm in school right now, yeah. <laughs> okay. And you're from Rushbrook Links and Cove. But the, uh, the trailer for your latest film, Hoodwinkers, is set for release in September. Tell us all about it. So it's a spoof comedy. It's all centred around the Leaving Cert. And it is kind of a reflection of the whole education system in Ireland. But it's kind of showing it in, from a different perspective, more of a positive way. And it's just, it, it is a comedy, you know? So, yeah. It's, okay. It's all about the leaving cert and the exams and, you know, the whole process. So, how does somebody just 17, no offense to your young age now, how does somebody just 17 get a couple of movies behind them as a director? Well, it is a hobby of mine, you know? I've been doing it from a young age and it's just something I really enjoy doing, you know? Like some people. They really enjoy football, you know, so for me, it's filmmaking. Okay, I guess whatever you focus on, you can grow in, stature in. Totally, yeah, and it's it's a learning process too, like, I've, over the years, I've, through, you know, trial and error, I've learned and made mistakes, and at the start, I was making terrible movies, but they're still terrible today, they're amateur, but, like, I'm working my way up, you know. Okay, this isn't gone with the wind now or anything, this was all shot in one day, in your school, you're in St. Francis College in Rochester. And have you permission to be off and out of class, yeah? Oh, yes, totally. <laughs> okay, bit of publicity for the school. Uh, my own son went there as well, it's a grand place, actually. So you have uh, the support of the school. T- tell us about the movie and how you can do a movie like that in just one day. Yeah, well, it was, uh, it was a big challenge, you know, getting it all done in one day. Uh, specifically because we had to start early and we had to make sure that we didn't waste too much time on particular scenes, you know. So what we did was we broke it up into different segments and we just kind of worked together and we shot different parts of it. It was a bit messy, but in the editing, it all came together much cleaner, you know. Okay, and do you think one day to be as famous as maybe Quentin Tarantino? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's very tough to get into the industry. But um, look, I'll just keep working on my work and on my films and see where it takes me. Uh, who, who do you admire in, in the industry? Would it be uh, Peter Jackson, Ron Howard? 
Um, I'd have to say J.J. Abrams. I mean, his films and his series, they're incredible. But there's loads of different people I admire um, and I look up to for inspiration, you know? Mm-hmm. So tell us about the movie. Give us a, the short story about the movie because I know it's being released today uh, and uh, you can tell us where it's going to be showing today and tell us a little bit about it. Yes, so our premiere is today and it's in Ballincollig. We have a red carpet and we have all the guests and cast and their families they are going to be attending and with the help of Siobhan and um, Gary from Ballincollig Real Cinema, this was possible. Um, so I want to thank them. But um, yeah, it's going to be very interesting because most of the actors haven't actually seen the film yet. So it's going to be a big shock once they get to see all their scenes on the big screen, you know, because it's unlike anything else. Like it's, you can't even compare it to watching it on a TV or on a smartphone, you know. Okay, and who, who does all the editing? Is that all you? Yes, I do everything. The camera work, the editing. I was also in it. Um, yeah, pretty much everything. And the basis of the story of the movie without giving it all away and uh, giving it, not having to give a spoiler alert? Okay, so um, a crazy party. No, no, no. <laughs> a small study session leads to a crazy party and hungover, like the day after the students wake up hungover and they have to figure out how to pass the Leaving Cert Irish exam uh, without having studied anything. <laughs> uh, yeah. it, sound, it sounds like a bit of a romp all right. Now, how can the general public get to see it? Will it be running in any of the Cork cinemas or will it uh, maybe feature at any of the film festivals perhaps? Yes, so today, as you know, it's our private premiere and it's for like the cast and crew and all that. But we have entered it into most of the film festivals um, across Cork and Ireland. So from October onwards, we'll know if it's been accepted into them. But we're also going to do um, one or two more screenings closer to Christmas, open to the public. So um, that would be exciting to get people in and so that they can get and watch it, you know? Yeah, get in, get in on the, uh, the list of events in the Trisco. That'd be a lovely place to see a, a movie like that. Yeah, yeah, it's a great venue, actually. Um, but, uh, yeah, honestly, I'm so nervous and so excited to see it on the big screen. Okay. Now, I don't want to be ageist, but w- would it be of any advantage, the fact that you're 17? Would that open doors that people say, this guy's 17, let's get his film in. Let's get it on our show, on our festival. I don't know. Like, I mean, I haven't really thought about it that much. I mean, I just, I, I guess I just work by myself. I make my own films and then I just submit it off to places and I get to see it and compare it but like it's I don't know it's hard because most of the people in the industry are over 20 30 years of age you know mm-hmm. yeah I, I know the uh, the directors and creators of, of the Young Offenders they actually live locally to me and they're lovely lovely people uh, yes, in Monkstown yeah, yeah lovely people I've met them and um, it's it's yeah much older than me obviously <laughs> <laughs> uh, but do, do you have that kind of aspiration to do maybe a movie that becomes a series on TV to develop a string of characters that you can you can run from series to series? Oh, definitely. Um, I think it's every filmmaker's dream to have that list of like characters that you can kind of develop and use in several films or even series, like you said. You know. And, and, and the movie was made in St. Francis College for the most part, was it? Yes, so ev- no, everything was shot in St. Francis College in Rochester. Um, all of the teachers, well, the fake teachers, obviously, <laughs> the actors... Um, we all showed it in the school and we set up like a fake classroom and we set up like an exam centre uh, and we had like, we used the corridors and the meeting rooms for the interrogation scene. So everything is shot locally. Okay. And um, I suppose that's a couple of hundred families that would go and see it on the big screen if you got it uh, into one of the big uh, picture houses. Maybe Ballincollig will, uh, will, will like it so much they'll put it on for a week or something. 
we'll see. Like, unfortunately for today, it's only 50 are allowed in, and that's to do with the whole COVID sure. um, restriction thing. But um, like going forward, now that everyone's vaccinated, I think there is a bit more flexibility with that. Like, I think we'll be allowed more numbers soon enough. Okay, well, we'll leave it there. Michael, uh, we wish you all the very best at your very young age. Michael Keane, just 17, from Rushbrooklings in Cove and going to St. Francis College in uh, Rochestown. Best of luck with your world premiere. Thank you so much, Mick. Thanks a million. All the best. Michael Keane there, a young Cork director, camera operator, sound man, script writer, actor, jack of all trades in the movie business. His uh, new comedy film, Hoodwinkers, airing in the real picture, Balancholic today, as a kind of a world premiere, as a private showing. Uh, the 50 seats already gone because it's for the, uh, the cast and crew, as it were. And it also features Echo journalist Sarah Horgan and uh, Dominic McHale from Young Offenders fame. Best of luck, Michael Keane, just 17. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. And a very good morning from the Neil Prendival Show. This is Mick Mulcahy. Now, it takes Mick, I'm enjoying listening to the show from a beach in Spain. For your information, I requested online to get my name changed on my digital vaccination search on Sunday night. And I had it on Monday night. I heard you speaking to Pat Dawson about that. Uh, so it's worth doing. Uh, take care, says Louise. So she requested a name change on the digital vaccination cert on Sunday night and had it on Monday night. Uh, so worth doing. Uh, and I mentioned Richard Marshall and uh, Cork Harbour Boat Hire here. He's been in touch to say he'd like to invite Mick Barry out for an hour uh, on one of the whaleys. And Mick can drive himself around the harbour and see how non-elitist the whole thing is. So it's a very generous offer. Uh, Mick, if you want to take us up on that and take Richard up on that, he'd be happy to facilitate you. Now then, change of subject, let's go to uh, Lisa on line one. Hi, Lisa. Good morning, Mick. How are you? I'm good. Now, last Saturday week, you uh, found yourself suddenly in kind of a house of horrors. Uh, you I heard a noise that. around 2.15am. Take it from there, will you? Um, on the 29th of August, Mick, um, around 2.15, coming on Sunday morning, um, I heard a rustling noise and I didn't think anything of it. So the same night there was fireworks went off and my other friend that I contacted after after I heard the fireworks, um, I heard noise and I said, that's weird, like it's dripping noise. So I came out into the landing in my house where I, with the family home is for the last 51 years and I walked into water and I looked up at the attic and there was water coming down and the lights started flickering wow. and panicked. So I called my friend and she told me, called the emergency straight away and in fairness um, I called the emergency line and around half past two there was fire brigade pulled up outside the door uh, where I live was a light with fire brigade and the guys couldn't have been nice and I was, you know, I was panicking because there's only me and the dog and they were very very calm and like you know, they got us out of the house and they turned off the power of the water and um, they left around three o'clock Mick, and around 25 past three half past three there was an emergency plumber came and he went up and he looked in the attic and could see all the water and he um, he said something about the tank. Now, at this stage, I don't know what he was on about, so the electricity was still off, so I made myself and the dog, Sam, secure downstairs. So he was there for a good while and they, they got out of the electrician then, so he said he'd have to leave off the water till the next day and that there'd be somebody up the next day, so... We were up all that night, like, you know, you're walking and you're sleeping, you're traumatised, what's going to happen? But that, that previous day, I noticed the, the overflow in the back of the house, it was pouring for quite a while. I didn't take any notice, but I, I said it for a few people, I said it's probably the, the tank when it gets too full, I didn't take any notice. So with that, uh, on the Sunday, this very nice 
So he came from the Cork City Council and he was ages in the attic. Ages in the attic. And he said, it's, it'll be repaired now, but in my bedroom, the night in question, the water was coming down my, my ceiling as well. So on the Sunday, around 20 past three, the ceiling in my room by the boiler all came down by the, the fire thing. The whole thing came down. I'm looking at some of the pictures here. Um, it's, it's like a tornado has ripped through the house. There. My house is wet, um, uh, Mick, being honest. I came back there now from giving Sam a, a short walk. The council workers came in this morning they put up plasterboard and the plasterers. The cap around the stairs is the more good. The floor in my hall is the more good. There's more plaster now, being honest, on my stairs, going to have them. My room, my bedroom, my sleeping, the floor is the more good, the condition of it. So we were waiting anyway. I got on to talk to the council. I asked about the, the, the ceiling in my bedroom. I said, I am a tenant. They said, and on the tenant's agreement, they said, if anything happens, it's up to the landlord. And I said, like, you know, it, it was only last September as well. There was a guy came out and he went up the boiler and the guy went away and the sitting room was flooded. It came through the ceiling, the sitting room from the boiler. A nail was put through the boiler. So previous to this uh, flood, Mick, um, I was there on the on the Monday and they were up and they were down looking up and they were going looking and they were going setting all these, whatever the council do. But Ted Tain, in fairness, from Ted has stuck with me through thick and thin. And it's like... You can imagine when your house is flooded, the smell and the whole lot. Now, there was all black stuff inside in the, inside in the hot press. It was like black flames. Is that mould or something? I don't know. I, I don't know what. It's not, it doesn't look like mould. It looks like black smoke. So on the Monday, the guy said there'd be somebody up. On the Tuesday, waiting for somebody. Wednesday, Thursday. So is, is the house habitable right now, Lisa? Sorry? Is the house habitable right now? Oh, you want to see the ceilings? Like, I'm after sending all the pictures to Brenda. Like, yeah, I have the pictures in front of me. I'm looking at them. And and then last Saturday, okay, I walked my dog. And last Saturday morning, around 20 past eight, I came. I was after saying it to the guy on the Friday. I said, the landing in the ceiling is very beveled. I said, there's an awful kind of bevel. You can see the water from the landing in the thing. That'll be okay. That was the response. That'll, That'll be, be okay. okay. That'll be okay. So on the Sunday, Saturday morning, when I got up, is you, as a normal person, do you use your bathroom before you go for your walk? And I heard a crack over my head. And I looked up, and the ceiling came down. On top of you? <laughs> top of my shoulders. And, you know, it was like a scene. It flashed through my head. Do you ever see the film in the Twin Towers where all the white stuff has gone through? And I said, what's going to happen? And the ceiling up over my bedroom, where I sent Brenda, just came down on top of me. And I just... I just, at that stage, I lost boiling point. So I rang the council and they said, um, somebody will be out if, it's, if there's no water. There was water there. So you're in the house from that Saturday to the Monday again. And the ceilings are still like that. So eventually on the Monday morning, um, there was guys came up from the, the court to the council and they took down the ceilings Monday morning, left wires down, the yellow stuff. And Monday evening, I heard all noise. So we had visitors, we had mice, you know, there was mice coming from the attic. So then yesterday morning they came up and they put up, um, they cut out squares of um, plasterboard and put up. And uh, they spinned it then this morning. But the condition of my house, like, is, I mean, the of it, like, you know. Okay. Well, I know t- uh, Councillor Ted Tynan has been active on your behalf uh, and we've emailed. It has been brilliant. Like, I've contacted other councillors and TDs and I've had no response. And I'm very angry at that situation at the moment, Mick, because 
when it comes to somebody that's looking for somebody to fight their corner, you're looking for a voice to get your voice over. And Ted Tiny knows me a long, long time, and Ted understands this, this the predicament in this house. This is the family home. And as a family home, when the family comes to visit, whatever, you're welcome. I'd be ashamed of my life at this stage to bring anybody to my home. Mm-hmm. My friends have stuck by me, and the, the neighbours have been fantastic with my friends. Like, people have seen the condition of this house, and they say, I wouldn't live in that condition at all. I wouldn't live, like, that's outrageous. The I, imagine, I, I imagine the only worst thing that could have happened to your house is a fire, but, but water is, is up there as well, because with water comes yeah. the damage to electri- electrical appliances, yeah. to electrical cabling, uh, and that, if not addressed properly, could start a fire. In the in the hot tank itself, I'd all new bed clothes start just destroyed. My own clothes, and then the water came down to the hall. No, so you come down the hall, the smell you come in the door. So then they came and they plastered us, and then left now. And I, oh, the only question I asked them is, was there somebody going to paint the ceiling? And the answer I got was no. I was talking to a very good neighbour of mine yesterday morning, and he asked the Cox City Council man. I said, look, I said, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm going to go on with the And if you go on with the he said, Cox City Council will make it very, very difficult for you. And that was his answer to me. Really? And my neighbour was standing, yes, my neighbour was standing next to me when that was said. My neighbour was standing next to me. I'm, I, like, I went to councils and TDs, the only one that stood, stood my corner was Ted Tiny. I contact, contacted other TDs, I'll come back to you. But yet, when they're looking for our vote, mate, the, the people's vote, we are giving it. We're promised this and promised that. I'm fighting this on my own with Ted Tynan. We're going in out to the 14th day today. This is 14 days since my home was wrecked. What will resolve everything, Lisa? What, what sort All of trades? What will resolve now, uh, Mick, and then not be nasty is for somebody from Cox City Council to come and look at what I'm living in at the moment, okay? Now, Monday night was a huge setback for me. I lost my mother in 2009, okay? My mother was a character because you caught her in 2000 with a wind-up Bridget Murphy of her passport when she went to Germany that time. Oh, hang on and a second. Was, was that the one that um, where I convinced her that she wasn't part of her own family? That's correct, yeah. That's, that's, that's all. And, and she mom, said, yeah. yeah, that's funny. My brother, my, brother t- my brother said to me that I didn't look like him at all. <laughs> that's him, yeah. And you told her that she was there. Uh, he was in a show gone. band or something, oh. wasn't he? Sorry? Was he in a show yeah, band Jimmy or something? Carter, her brother, yeah, Jimmy's her brother. Jimmy, you caught him too. Oh, well, Monday night opened up a lot of old wounds for me, Mick, and a lot of people listening on your show today know me, and I'm a very genuine, honest person. I do anything for anybody, because at the end of the day, it costs nothing to be nice. And Brendan Ferriso has been with me from day one. She's a good person. I had to open up old wounds Monday night. I had to go in and stay in my mother's bedroom, and that was trauma for me. I didn't want to go into that room. I avoid that room because that was her last place I seen her. And okay. I was made over a flood to go into this house. If you see the pictures now, what I left to clean this morning, I'm not cleaning it, mate. I just, I feel now, to be honest, just get me and my dog and just leaving again. There's stairs and destroyed tip with plaster all up the stairs, all the paint work. The whole place is right. Uh, you've mentioned the dog more than once or twice during the interview. Uh, dog yeah. seems to be your life, is it? That dog is my best friend, Sam. Everybody knows Sam on the ring road. Everybody, he's he's my saver, Mick. He's my best friend. And Sunday night, I nearly lost Sam over the trauma that happened in the house the whole week. Sam suffers from epilepsy and he got a fit. 
I didn't think Sam was going to come over, and he was brought to the vest. And the people in Sunbeam Vets have gone above and beyond to help me. Oh, Sam. they're brilliant. They're, they're brilliant in Sunbeam Vets. There's, there's Joe and Dermot, and there's another two girls, Denise and the other girl. They're, they're, they've been brilliant. But most of all, make my friends have been a total strength through this thing. Do you know what? Nothing has been complicated from washing, come up and have a shower, do you want a dinner? There's nothing. Where I've reached out to people and I was told there'd be somebody come back to you. There's no one come back to me, mate. Is it, only, is it only Cork City Council that can affect the repairs here? If, if, if the Cork City Council uh, owns the house. They own the tenancy, do you know what I mean? And what if somebody else came in uh, with a generous heart and said, I'll do this and I'll get someone to do that and we'll get it fixed up for you? Would, would that be an option or like, are you voiding any contract you have with no, Cork City no, Council then? Anything. Anything. But like if you, saw the, if you saw the state of this place now this morning, when you come in, I left this place spotless this morning. Spotless this place. If you, if you see the pictures I sent Brenda, you would actually get a ton in your stomach. The plaster's just all over the place. All I can see the plaster on the stairs. I can see uh, yeah. uh, the place looks but absolutely ruined. Anything, like, and when I asked, was it going to be painted? And it was told no. And when my neighbour was standing next to me, she heard the guy saying, when he said, I said, all I want is it to be painted and back to square one. That it was three weeks ago. And I said, look, I'll have to go forward. I'll have to go on to a radio station. If you do, he said, Cox City Council can make your life very, very hard, he said. Very, very difficult for you, he said. They were his words. Well, it's in the public realm now, so let's see where it goes, Lisa. We've been trying to get Ted Tanya. I know he's aware of your situation. Uh, he's just not answering at the moment. He must be busy. But I know he's looking into it on your behalf. We've also emailed the City Council on your behalf. Uh, so now it's in the public realm. We'll see, um, you know, if things are going to be facilitated for you. Uh, we'll see. Maybe we'll get a kind-hearted builder to come in and fix it for you. Or we'll see uh, if Cork City Council will affect the repairs that you so badly need. Uh, but for okay. now, thanks, Lisa. Cheers. Thanks so much, Mike. Thanks a million. Bye-bye. Uh, that is Lisa, whose house was left in a mess. Her late mother, Bridget Murphy, uh, I remember with uh, great fondness. Uh, that was a wind-up I made up as we went along because I could tell there was something about her. Uh, I, I said, I can do anything here. I really, really felt, uh, and something came into my head to say, we believe you were involved uh, in, a, in, a, in a robbery of these newly printed 5 million euros and she nearly lost her life, God love her. And I was just making it up as I went along. One of the great memories uh, of the old wind-ups. They were of their time. Uh, of cyclists, uh, we have a huge groundswell of opinion and a plethora of texts coming through. Uh, obviously, this cyclist doesn't drive a car. Uh, cyclists are uh, empowered uh, by the Green Party now, and they are kind of anti-motorist. Another texter says, what about roads with no traffic lights? Uh, do cyclists not block them up either? A load of bull, says this uh, texter. I don't know what context that's in. What about a contribution to the roads you use, like road tax for all cyclists? Uh, on road safety, if there was more focus on cycle road safety in schools, that would help to build more respect for all users, for all road users. There's a lot of focus on pedestrian safety, but not so much for cyclists, says Natalie. Back to road safety. Make that cyclist guy is talking proper rubbish. I do a good bit of driving for work, and I'm always seeing cyclists, three or four abreast, out on the road, and they do not pull in or even seem to care how long they hold traffic up. It's pretty much the same with tractor drivers who drive along oblivious to the fact that there, be th there could be 30 or 40 cars behind them and the tractor driver doesn't pull in to let the cars pass. That's the way people have gone. Let's go to line two and to Vincent. Hi, Vincent. Good morning, sir. How, How are, are you? you? you, I, you... I want to talk with Michael about uh, uh, old age pensioners. We haven't got a rise for three years now. Three years now. And they have themselves... 10,000 only a few months ago, right in the middle of the COVID. 
everything's gone up, as you know, electricity, gas, property tax. The corporation in Cork has a cheek to put up property tax onto uh, on, on the poor people and old age pensioners. I know poor old age pensioners, they can't put on a bit of heating for the whole bloody winter, you know. And the senators now, uh, they're looking for the, uh, sorry, the, the councillors are looking for the 8,000 again. About increase. For what? What do they do? Nothing. They do nothing for nobody. The only body that can do anything for anybody is the city manager is. They can't do anything. They'll tell you they'll do this and do that. They can't do anything. And they're looking for 25000 a year. Double double the amount that an old age pensioner is getting. It's crazy country. This is getting worse and worse, you know. What What you do know? you feel about uh, what's going to happen in the upcoming budget? We don't know. You see, that's the trouble, Mick. We don't know. The old age pensioners don't know what's happening. What they're going to get. They're talking about a fiver. Jeez, you wouldn't give a fiver to a child for these first communion. Oh, you'd be laughed at at a fiver. I know, you would be laughed at. You know, but they want 8,000 for themselves then. The councillors. Yeah, the uh, the politicians, the senior senior politicians took a very nice optical, and I say optical, uh, 10% pay cut. Uh, But that was more than covered, as I said to Minister Michael McGrath on the air. That was more than covered by the Haddington Road Agreement which saw automatic increases coming in. So, in effect, in effect, a minister, a minister was able to say, uh, I'm taking a 10% pay cut. Look how good I am. And they were yeah. getting about 15 euros a week extra when Haddington Road kicked in than before they took the cut. And look at the expenses they're getting, Michael. Look at the expenses they're drawing. And they're doing nothing for the last 18 months, any of them. Senators, where, where's all the senators for the last 18 months? They're doing nothing at all. And yet they're getting rises. It's crazy. The country's gone mad with these fellas up there in Dublin. And the population now as well, looking for their 8,000. Oh, God almighty's sake, man, this country, this country's going down the tubes. It's getting worse than Russia or Belarus. How, how, do you I mean, spread, how, how do you spread out and live on the pension you're getting, Vincent? Oh, well, I'm okay. I'm only talking for pensions I know, Michael. I'm okay. I'm comfortable. So is my wife, thank God. But, I mean, it, it, it's crazy what the... What, what they're up to, you know. Crazy what. Electricity is going away up you now again and gas. And look at the price of petrol. Who's putting up the price of petrol? It's not the oil companies. The price of the barrel of oil, Michael, went down a fortnight ago. From 72 down to 68 a barrel. And not one garage took off one penny. Yet they put it up again last weekend. Yeah, when, when the price of oil, when the price of a barrel of oil goes up, they're very quick to react, and when it comes down, they're very slow Overnight. to react. That's Overnight. That's commerce, I guess. That's rise. business today. But when they want to rise for themselves as well, they put it up overnight. But when they when they give a fiver to the old age pensioners, they take six months to give it. Yeah, if, if, if you tell you, yeah, you, you can be sure that the the old reliables, if they hit alcohol this time, and if they probably will always, they always hit cigarettes. Uh, that'll go up from midnight that night. Uh, and if they give a fiver to the pensioners, it'll be we'll get that from first of June. Look how generous we are. Well, if they do, they, you, I hope the old age pensioners will be out in the road, and I hope the people that brought out the water people will help them to get out in the streets. It's the only way to cure it, you know. They're getting away with too much. First of all, make we had three years of the Brexit that finished. What had we then? Year and a half of the COVID. The COVID. How long more will that go on? What will be next? So, and what are they doing? They're keeping it running, like Saponi. They're keeping the whole thing running so they won't talk about the other things that are happening in the country at all. They're covering it up. 
And do you think these low standards in high office, uh, you know, it's not as if they just happened yesterday. We've been talking about this for the last 30 years, if not more. Make it, the only way to get them is get them out and get in Sinn Féin and see what can, Sinn Féin can do. I'm not a Sinn Féin person, I can tell you, but they're the only people that will take off the property tax, especially for the older people. I mean, they'll give you a fiver, but they'll back, they'll back 20 the week, the week afterwards. That's what they're doing. They might give us maybe five or ten next, uh, in the budget next month, but they'll take back 40 the week afterwards on property tax and carbon uh, tax. It wouldn't that's be taking 40 a week in property tax. That's all the Greens are doing, mate. Uh, is putting on carbon tax. They're doing nothing else. Yeah, we'll be, uh, we'll, be a smoke-free uh, country from uh, next uh, October, I think. Uh, all of the uh, smoky coals will be gone in every uh, every area of the country. Yeah, I'll be dead before that happens, Michael. Yeah, people people are saying uh, by text now. Here's one of them. Um, Vincent is talking about pensions. Well, it's their own fault for voting in the same gang into power election after election uh, for years. That's the trouble. That is the trouble. You see. You know, but I think uh, one or two of them are, are in trouble now. But there'll be nobody sick. Nobody, nobody sick. Yeah. You want to kill somebody in the doll before you'll be sacked. So we'll, we'll, get sacked. We, we'll, we'll leave it there, but you raised some very good points, Vincent. Thanks a million to you. God bless you. God Thanks bless you. a million. Bye-bye. Uh, Bye-bye. There's a tornado in Cork, apparently, and there's a video doing the rounds of what people are saying is a tornado in Cork uh, doing their rounds. We might put it up on our social media. It's actually called a funnel cloud. Uh, but we'll put it up on social media to see what you think. 33% are planning splurges for Christmas, says the Irish Sun today, to finish on a newspaper story. One third of Irish shoppers say they plan to spend more this Christmas due to savings made during the pandemic restrictions, according to a new study. The survey from Kinetic Insight found 25% of people say they plan to fork out more on luxury items and groceries and spoil their families as Christmas comes around. 61% of respondents said they plan to start their Christmas shopping early this year. No, please no. I can see in supermarkets there are Christmas selection boxes already. The world has gone mad and we'll take it up again tomorrow after News at 9 on the Neil Prendable Show. My thanks to our production team. News at 12 is on the way. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.